Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. It was like we not in Cork Park and Cork winning the All-Ireland for me. The massive problem we have in this country is the shadow economy, the black market. Everything can be controlled, and that's the job of the government. I just wanted to give back. We're all going to be old someday. It's nice to know that there's someone looking out for you. Join the conversation. Call 0818 96 96 96. Extra WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the Opinion Line with PJ. Yeah, well, if someone else bouncing in our bed this morning in association with Carrigline Furniture and Carpet, this is fun. Production department at 96FM have outdone themselves this week in making clues who is bouncing on our bed. 1,500 euros prize this week with Carrigaline Furniture and Carpets. Give you Tuesday's one in a wee while. Good morning to you. We had lots of communication yesterday after... I heard from Tracy Tully about the latest moves in sending, the government now seems to have decided to send the killer of her son to the UK to serve his sentence. She says she will fight on. It'll be raised in the doll again uh, this week. Uh, with a few emails and uh, communications with that regard. And uh, I mentioned also the story yesterday of Judge Olin Kelleher and what he was saying about people getting narky and, as he said himself, acting the maggot with healthcare workers with an email or two and a comment on two to do with that. Come back to it all during the morning. Also, they're telling us now, statistic out this morning in the Irish Times telling us, and this will lead us nicely into our first topic of conversation this morning, uh, the average family will spend €2,800 on booking a foreign holiday this year, despite the fact that prices are going up, despite the fact that the cost of living crisis is as it is, people will still spend on their summer holiday and they will borrow and they will dip into savings to spend and go on their summer holiday. More on that indeed in a minute but it brings me to talk first to Owen Corrie a travel journalist uh, Air Air and Travel magazine the story we've all been following the drones at Dublin airport the government now says it will be several weeks before drones which have stopped flights into and out of of Dublin airport six times six times drones have been stopped going in and out of Dublin airport in the last couple of weeks It'll be several weeks more before they can actually be stopped. The technology is there. The Minister for Transport brought a plan to Cabinet and will bring it further today for drone security. 
But the Dublin Airport Authority, which operates the airport, said it didn't want responsibility. It didn't want responsibility for intercepting drones, which makes me ask the question, if the company or the group responsible for running the airport doesn't want responsibility for drones, then who else is supposed to have it? Let's bring in Owen Curry at that point. Owen, we're less than we're less than three months away from the start of the summer holiday season. Can we expect summer weekends, summer holiday weekends to be destroyed by drone activity? Morning. Good morning to you, PJ. I'm not I'm sure and um, things will be in some sort of shape for the summer, but you're absolutely right. Uh, the way the government has talked about this, uh, the existing situation in one line is we have the technology to detect drones. We have the technology to find out where they were flown from, but we don't have the technology to bring them to ground. Uh, that's very likely to be purchased because of those incidents, those six incidents you talked about. And the big question then is who operates it? As you rightly say, Dublin Airport, say the airport police are probably the fire service. The fire service are the ones keeping birds out of the way of aircraft. Don't have the authority to arrest anyone. So it really should be the Gardaí, and that's the case in most of Europe. Uh, the Gardaí have the um, technology to bring down the drone, and then they have the powers to make whatever arrests and follow-up action are required. Because the law on drones is very clear. You may not operate a drone within five kilometres of an airport, correct? You would say, think that, um, but the legislation has never really been tried out. We haven't had any convictions. We have two cases before the courts, which we can't uh, refer to uh, um, at all. But we do have um, this sort of big question of, aside from finding out who operates the drones, uh, the guards going, calling on their house, serving a notice, GPP, all of that very long involved process, we really haven't any other alternative And that's what the uh, airlines are uh, calling for. Michael Michael O'Leary very forthright on Friday. And Aer Lingus said the same thing, but they did so in a much much less in-your-face manner than Michael O'Leary does. Mick was being Mick, let's face it. (laughs) Yeah, they want immediate action. They they don't want uh, 20-minute closure, 30-minute closure, 40-minute closure. That's what we've had while the, the campus is cleared. And there is no doubt that there's some serious mischief-making going on because the very last drone on Thursday was a serious, heavy device and it had uh, a technology built in to prevent it being detected. So something serious may be going on. We can only speculate on that. But we really need, very quickly, um, the effective technology to bring it to ground is available. Uh, the one that's used by... Uh, listeners will remember Gaswick a couple of years ago, 2018. Yes. Yes. It was closed down. Uh, the Nighthawk X technology that they use uh, can bring a drone to ground. But it's always it's operated by the London Metropolitan Police, not by the airport police. And that's, I think, the first question that has to be worked out here because it's quite clear behind the scenes, PJ, that the Department of Justice has no uh, appetite for taking on the uh, technology to bring down drones and they want the airport to do it. While the airport says um, we can't arrest anyone um, and we certainly can't take any action against anyone outside the campus. So where does that leave us? In terms of what the technology does own and how it works, is it as simple as I pick up the frequency of your drone and I use my gear to jam it and crash it because it sounds to me as if you just did that, you're creating more dangers than you get rid of. 
And once you get it out of the air and once you get it off the campus, the danger is eliminated. Um, there are two alternatives. You crash it to ground immediately below it or you send it back to base. And they, those technologies are available. Now, there, there's a question of if someone is really determined to evade that technology, how good they will be at it. But what we've seen in Dublin over the last six weeks is that every time a drone is detected, everything shuts down, and that's diverting the inbound flights and delaying the outbound flights. The worry we'd have here locally, Owen, is Cork is headed into, and they'll tell you up their management with big smiles on their faces, and deservedly so, we're heading into the busiest year at Cork Airport for many a long year, and where we're back at, if not even going to exceed pandemic levels. What if some lunatic starts doing that down here? Now we have another problem. Let's say the only drone technology in the country is in Dublin. And Shannon, Cork, Dublin Port, Mountjoy Prison, all of these people who have been interested in bringing drones to ground, they're going to Dublin airports because they're the ones with the technology. So that's basically the Dublin airport argument. We need um, the technology brought in. We need it operated by the uh, justice. We need it operated by the Garda Siakana and with all the backup resources they have for bringing prosecutions. Uh, there's no question, by the way, that the technology is needed. There's no technology. There's no question. It's a good idea that we get this technology. It doesn't cost a lot. It costs about 100,000 euro. The big question is, um, is it going to be sort of farmed off to Dublin Airport, saying, "Well, you're the guys who have the drones, so you operate this." And then we run ourselves into a whole new set of problems, which could impact on summer. Let's remind ourselves of what. Michael O'Leary was saying about Eamon Ryan last week and you know Michael O'Leary's Michael O'Leary he says it the way he says it but let's comment on whether on what on, on, let's see what you think of what he actually said Owen just bear in mind a second this is the minute uh, this is Michael O'Leary speaking the other morning on national radio all we need is a decision by Minister Ryan to protect passengers and flights at Dublin airport we don't need his memos we don't need his meetings we don't need his Twitter feed we just need a decision and action by lunchtime today okay. and if he won't make that decision he should resign as transport minister and return to the leafy suburbs of Randall where he can worry about bicycle lanes. Now that's make being make Owen but does he have a point? Is Eamon Ryan behind the curve here? And um, there's there's no doubt that Michael O'Leary is very forthright and the other thing is Aer Lingus as I say say the same thing but they say that the recommendations in the Air Safety Act should be implemented. Now, it doesn't make as good radio, but it's exactly the same thing. This has been talked about since 2016, and nothing has happened. And not only has nothing happened, but in the, the row, like Raymond Ryan went on national radio afterwards, and he was clearly stung by what uh, Michael Leary said but, um, but on different radio interviews. Uh, but it's quite clear that the reaction is not to bring a sort of a clear-headed uh, step process to this. We buy the technology, we nominate the agency that's in charge of it, and we then bring in the legislation. The legislation can come in and tow. It doesn't really have to come in immediately. But what seems to be happening is that it's being farmed back to Dublin Airport. Mm. And that ain't going to solve the problem because, as you uh, mentioned, there are other airports in the country, and any of them could be subject to this sort of drone um, mischief-making. Every airport in Europe faces has looked at this problem, especially after the Gatwick incident in 2018. And all of them have tended to... Um, uh, it's, it's been the local police that has tended to have been given the responsibility 
of making sure that drones don't interfere with airspace. That's really what I think at the heart of what's been happening over the last few days and a lot of the criticism of Eamon Ryan is that um, he's, he's just... He's just he's, oh, he's got all this massive paperwork with all these recommendations and he's not active upon it. All right, Moan, thank you. Owen Curry, uh, travel journalist. We have several weeks, it'll be, before drone technology would be employed or deployed, to use that word, at Dublin Airport. But we've got Cork headed in for, and we met them recently, I was talking to some of the management there recently with the most enjoyable evening to discuss the plans for the year. They're into their biggest year for a long time and back to as good as, if not better than, pre-COVID levels at Cork Airport. Yet some goal could send up a drone and shut the whole thing down. Can you just imagine a Saturday in July at Cork Airport where people are going on their holidays, holidays they've saved up long and hard for, holidays they've saved up, and according to the Irish Times report here this morning, have borrowed for and gone into their savings for to go off to Lanzarote or or Palma or, I don't know, wherever you want to go yourself out of Cork this year. Portugal. And some idiot puts up his on a Saturday afternoon and the whole thing is kicked into a cocked hat for a few hours. Technology is there. It's cheapest chips. Yet no one can decide who's supposed to operate it. Like, this is what we pay government for, to govern. This is what a minister for the government, a government minister is meant to do, to bloody govern. Not sit on his arse and look at this report and that report and that record. And I'm more about, I'm more with the way that Mick O'Leary speaks here. Get out, do your job, Minister Ryan, or resign and let someone else do it. 0818-969696. Kate said they need to deal with this straight away. Did you see the plane was struck by the bird? A drone could do just that. Exactly, Kate. A drone could do just that. They need to bring some crowd in the meantime to stop this. You think a motorway missile is bad? This could get very nasty. You're not wrong. 0818-969696. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. Cork's 96 FM. The Cork Diary. Cork's 96 FM. A fundraising cocktail event will take place at the Address Hotel, St. Luke's Military Hill on Saturday the 11th of March in aid of the Irish Sexist Foundation and in memory of Tracy Corcoran. There'll be music, games, spot prizes and lots more and tickets for the event can be bought on idonate.ie. If you have an event you would like mentioned, email the details to corkdiary at 96fm.ie. The Cork Diary. With Cork because everyone who calls Cork home should have one. Cork's 96FM. Craig is suggesting we have marksmen employed to shoot down drones. Not so sure how that'll work out for you. Don't know if anyone's ever tried it, Craig, but he says there is technology out there to bring down the drones. It's called an army marksman. If a drone operator gets a thousand euro plus drone blown to smithereens, he'll be slow to put up another one over the airport. So, Craig, I think, is suggesting that we employ an army marksman or ask the army for the loan of a marksman for the afternoon 
And if we spot a drone, kapow, it's gone. Like a clay pigeon shoot. It would probably work. But has it been tried anywhere, I wonder? Has anybody done that? You'd obviously have to clear the skies as well and back the planes away. <laughs> Don't come in as if I'm going to shoot a gun. 0818969696. That's far more serious matters. A story I read in the last couple of days. Incidents of harassment, stalking and threats increased by 18% in the years 2019 to 2022. Don't know whether it was connected to the pandemic or not, but it happened in those years. Uh, they came out in the Gardaí's provisional crime stats for last year. At the same time, one of the co-founders of Stalking Ireland is herself living in fear again because of where legislation that is incoming, of when it's coming in. Eve McDowell, I speak of, and I'll talk to Una and Wing, the other, star, um, the other founder, in a moment. But Eve... Am I to understand that while the legislation is ready to go and ready to rock, it won't come out in time to stop Igor Lewandowski, who stalked you, uh, from from being limited by it? Good morning. Good morning. How are you? Um, yeah, that's correct. So he's actually out now. So, no, unfortunately, that legislation didn't come in on time. When did he get out, Eve? Um, last Thursday, I believe. Okay. Okay, so the law is coming, but it doesn't apply to him. What does the law say? This is the law that yourself and Una drove, and I'll talk to Una in a minute. Yeah, one of the main provisions of the law um, is being able to apply for a civil protection order. So right now, I have no, I don't have a no contact order, I don't have a restraining order, I don't have a barring order, and I can't access any of those because I wasn't in a relationship with him. Um. So essentially, if if he were to start stalking me again now that he's out, I'd have to go through the same court process all over again. And I mean, the first time it happened, nothing was done. I didn't feel anyways until it was nearly too late and he broke in. So um, it's very frustrating. It's as if the legislation that you worked so hard to push through and to get pushed through, it's as if it doesn't matter, isn't it? Well, yeah, it's a bit of a kick in the teeth, really. Now, we have been told that it's moving to the next stage of the week of the 28th of March. Um, so hopefully it will progress then. But um, it's just been very slow, very slow. Like, we were told that it would be priority. Um, and, you know, it's not just us. This is affecting so many other people yeah. as well that don't really, or that aren't in a position to speak out about it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it is frustrating. Let me bring in Una Ring at this stage. Una, your tormentor is still in, in prison, and this will apply to him, but your friend is in an awful position. Morning, Una. Morning, PJ. Thanks for having us on again. Um, yeah, it's 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 a very scary situation for Eve, to be honest. Um, there's a, there, there really is no protection there for her at the moment. Um, and I know... a. a barring order is just a piece of paper but it's, it's it's way better to have it than not you know and so it is it is a pity that it wasn't it, the legislation didn't come in before um ego was released yeah like it'll apply to you because as i said your tormentor is still mm. in, incarcerated and hopefully will be for quite some time yet so compare your case to to eve's case as it were what are you entitled to 
when your tormentor comes out of prison? Well, when when he comes out, um, I do have a lifelong no contact order, um, and he will be in. He'll have five years um, strict probation. Uh, he is a reg- he will be a registered sex offender. He will have very very strict um, um, conditions when he is released. So I actually have way better uh, protection than Eve ever had. You know, and I think that's down to. Um, I know the guards and y'all, they fought for him to be registered as a sex offender. They, they fought really, really hard for that. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the time of the court, he wasn't, it, it was afterwards that they, they kept fighting for it. And it was about a month after the court was all over and done with that, they notified me to say, yeah, we're after getting him registered as a sex offender. Mm. So it's like, if James Steele, when he comes out of jail, it's it's not worth his while to go anywhere near you. There's, the 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 state can come down on him like a ton of bricks. Whereas, you know, Eve, Igor can come looking for you now, and there's little or nothing you can do about it. That's scary. Very little, yeah. And you know, he he wasn't registered as a sex offender because there was no fingerprints found in the Viagra or the knife. They weren't taken into account in the court proceedings. Um, which was very frustrating because, you know, there's not just randomly going to be a knife and Viagra left mm. outside of a house after yeah. break-in. Uh, it was too coincidental. And is um, this the reason that the difference between what is there for Una and there for you, is this down well, to the s- slowness of our legislative process? Well, see, if the legislation was in, I'd still have to go and do an application for the civil protection order. I had been under the impression that I had a five-year no-contact order when he gets out, but I've been trying to find that court information over the last few weeks uh, with, like, no success. I had a feeling that he might be getting out a little bit earlier than I expected, so I contacted the Irish Prison Service myself. When they got back to me, I found out that his release date was indeed changed. Um, I asked, would I have, you know been informed of this had I not contacted them and they assured me that I would have but yet the other person who was directly impacted by the crime wasn't informed that he was being let out earlier than expected so I don't believe that I would have been I think think we know Eve. there are too many examples in the past of the victims of crime not knowing that their tormentor to use that word again was walking the streets again I would have thought yeah. this is just me, ordinary citizen, ordinary Joe, thinking you are the victim here. Una, you were the victim in your case. You are both the first person who should know that this individual is getting out of jail. I would have thought in a fair society. Absolutely. And we shouldn't have to be chasing up services for information. Like when I was trying to find out, did I have the no contact order? I was asking the Irish prison service. They didn't know. They sent me on to the probation service. The person I spoke to wanted to speak to their superior, took ages for them to get back. When they did get back, they said they'd have to check with the head office. Like, I mean, it's just been sent round and round and round in circles and and very little answers for just basic information. Um, So there's huge gaps and miscommunications between the services as well. That kind of nonsense is hard for me to listen to. Una, it must be impossible to try to live with that kind of nonsense in in real life. Yeah, it is. And, um, like... 
Eve, as you know, is very is very she's very intelligent, she's very articulate, she's very independent. Um but for somebody who hasn't got those skills, like they they they'd have no hope of trying to get answers. Yeah. Do you know? Somebody who, who, who isn't you know, capable of picking up the phone or might have anxieties and doesn't want to pick up the phone. Like people don't have a hope. You know, if 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 Eve can't get the answers, then nobody can. You know. Yes, you talked to me before about your own anxieties, and look, James Steele won't be out for quite some time. But you still have anxiety levels to deal with. Eve, you must be, you must be finding it hard to sleep and eat these days, are you? Oh, it's thrown a complete spanner in the works. Yeah, definitely. Uh, especially because it was sooner than you know I had expected. Um. When you want to kind of make a long-term plan around these things and yeah. um, you know I kind of had hoped to maybe be even out of the country by the time he got out but he got out while I'm still in a college course so you know this has had a huge knock-on effect in that area of my life and all other areas as well so um, yeah I just couldn't understand why the, the release date was um, brought up and again knowing that if I hadn't have gone checking, I probably wouldn't have found out. Knowing that is just, yeah, infuriating. And then, you know, just having to install security cameras to feel safe, like there's huge financial implications. I miss time off of work because of just the shock of everything. Time off off of college that I'm still trying to catch up on. Um, And then back in counselling again. And he's out since last um, Thursday. How how on earth are you holding it together just to talk to me right now? <laughs> just about. And, you know, it was I was given two different release dates as well. Uh, the Irish Prison Service gave me one date and my detective gave me another date. And there was only a day in between them. But, like, to someone in my situation, that day is so important. And I just wanted to find the date, yeah. the official date that he was being released. And the person who was able to tell me the date that he was released was actually a journalist. Yeah. Una, should it not be the case, and this is a, a much broader thing in terms of crime, that the victim of crime should know when the criminal is jailed, no matter what the crime is, but especially something like affected yourself and Eve, you should be able to know from the moment he or she, whoever does this, is taken away, a minimum date. So if someone is jailed today for an offence against you or Eve, Una. You should be able to know, well, that person will not be released before a given date. And you should be able to rely on that, shouldn't you? Yeah, like, I was given a date um, for Jane Steele's release, which is the 24th of April um, of next year. And because he is now a registered sex offender, the, the, the likelihood of him getting early release is... It's minuscule, really. He he more than likely won't get out before that date. Um, so that's that's the date that I've been given. Um, you know, it won't be long coming around. No, no. I was only thinking of there for a second. This time next year, I, I you know, with all even with with the protection, I, I I'd hate to be in your shoes. Eva, did you have a no a date by which you were fairly sure he wouldn't be yeah. out? Yeah, yeah. Mine was the first of April. Um, is what I was told but like um, again I wasn't even made aware that I could access that information because I, like I was very young 
I was 19 going through that whole court process during COVID. On like a lot of the times on my own as well, wasn't yeah. allowed to bring people into the courtroom with me. Um, and you know, it wasn't until I got talking to Una really that I realised that I could find out this information. So, mm. um, yeah, I had to go and look for that information yourself. It's not kind of made readily available. I don't understand why at the end of a court case that it's like a breakdown of the proceedings and of the verdict isn't given mm. to victims just to have because when you're in that place as well, you've so much going on in your head, it's hard to process what's going on. Yes. So just something like a simple breakdown, you know, would make all the difference um, mm. to people and, you know, something that really should be looked into I, as to why it's so hard to access information. I had forgotten, as one does, how young you were when this happened and going through the whole thing in the middle of COVID with not able to bring anybody in with you. That must have added to the trauma, did it? Absolutely. I'll never forget my dad coming down for a court case and him being told he couldn't come in with me. But then when I got in there, Igor's father was in the room. And oh, my God. That, that was just, you know... How come his father was allowed in, but your dad wasn't? I don't know. I still don't know to this day. And, like, I mean, that was... You know, it's one thing not being allowed to bring someone in, but then... The fact that his father was allowed in for support, you know, the fact that he gets offered counselling in prison and I'm left having to pay for it outside because of what he did for me. You know, it just seems like victims are really not looked after in these cases. And like, I mean, there is certain policies there that say that, you know, we should be entitled to such and such things, but they're not working. Yes. Um, you know, like an inquiry needs to be done and victims need to be listened to about their own experiences because um, like the the way I was last week you know I, ne I never thought that I'd be able to come and speak about all of this, the trouble I had just trying to search for that information but I just took note of everything that was happening at the time because I thought no this needs to come out because there's so many other people I'm sure that are in the same position as me because when I me and Una had been stalked. We thought that maybe we were two of the only ones and it wasn't until we spoke out about it that, you know, it kind of opened the can of worms when we found out how many other people had been in similar experiences and just, yeah. you know, didn't feel as though that they could speak out or felt as though they were the only ones as well. So I'm sure there's a lot of other people as well who have been left stuck in this position of trying to chase up basic information that they're entitled to that yeah. shouldn't be complicated. I know that you've become good friends the two of you uh, through through all this but Una at the very start when you gave and I always to this day remember you gave your very first radio interview to this programme uh, after James Steele went down y you went through it at the time you thought really didn't you you thought you were the first person this happened to and the reality of realising that you're not is what drives you now yeah yeah and it's so it's so prevalent out there like it really is um, there has been research done. It's going to be released actually on the twenty on the twenty first of March. Um, about like people from the country, there was over a thousand people took part in it, and it's fairly harrowing reading actually the amount of people that that are going through it, that have been through it, that are still going through it, um, and it's just it's 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 frightening. It really is the amount of people, and you see. The statistics are one thing, but like first it has to be reported and then it has to be recorded. So only when there's any evidence there that 
that can happen. So somebody can still be stalked but have no evidence. Therefore, that doesn't meet the criteria to go onto the statistics. So the figure is high, but it's probably a lot higher. Yes, and isn't that the case with, with so much crime? I mean, it's mm. up by 18% between 2019 and 2022. Do, and I ask you both to finish. Do you think that the pandemic and the lockdown and the way you people were able to hide themselves behind closed doors and do horrible things from behind closed doors, do you think that it may have added to the problem, Eve, you first? Yeah, absolutely. Like COVID isolation people and it left victims more vulnerable to like stalking and other things such as intimate partner violence or gender-based violence. People had more time on their hands. Um, A lot of things moved online. I think there was like an increase in cyber stalking. Like I just, we have that research coming out soon. um, But, you know, what we know from it is that over half the cases weren't reported. Yeah to the guards so that increase that you're talking about that number is a lot higher than what's actually reported and then there's people that report and it's not actually recorded so I'd like I know for a fact that yeah definitely the pandemic would have had um, an impact because yeah people like stuck in their houses yeah they were they were unable to go out their aggressors were, were able to hide yeah yeah, definitely. And there's no supports there. Like, there's still no stalking support services mm. for, you know, people experiencing that. So, you know, it's hard to know whether to ring a rape crisis centre or a domestic violence. It, mm. It's hard when you're in that position because you're, there's nothing really there Yeah. Um, that specifies with that. So, again, yeah, it makes it harder for people to understand what they're going through. Yeah. Lastly, Una, to yourself with regard to the, the pandemic, that it may have your thoughts on whether it has made made matters worse. And looking back at it now, do do you still believe you did the right thing in speaking out so loudly after Steele was sent down? Yeah, I definitely think I did. Um, it, I, I, it's hard for me to know about whether the pandemic um, had that. I know it had a huge impact on domestic violence for as for stalking. I, I'm not sure because I like James Steele really it's only when the restrictions were lifted that he was able to stalk me properly um, because the guards were off the road you know so I think for somebody living nearby maybe yes but I think for somebody living that they'd have to be out on the road driving they would have been asked where they were going and what they were doing of course, so of course. Um, I, I do think as what he said is that a move to cyber stalking which I thankfully know nothing about uh, I wouldn't be of the year of social media and that kind of stuff um, well I believe the online stalking was, was absolutely horrendous during lockdown um, so yeah like uh, it probably did have an impact but I think I think as soon as the law comes in I think that's when we'll see the, the, the figures um, rise up you know because at the moment stalking still isn't a crime you know it's very that's, hard to report a yeah. non-existent crime Des- you know, so despite I think the work, despite the work, and despite the support you've had from great people like Mary Quilly, it's still not yet a crime. Una Ring and Eve McDowell, thank you both. Uh, the website is called stalkingireland.ie. They've both been active in setting it up and, and as they say these days, populating it with content. The great Mary Quilly at the Sexual Violence Centre also. Uh, a strong supporter of both women. Info at sexualviolence.ie is an email 
for them if you want more information. Uh, that's for Mary. Uh, there's a free phone helpline, 1-800-496-496, uh, Monday to Friday, 9 to 5, and by appointment outside of that, you can text or WhatsApp 87 1-5-3-3-3-9-3. And in an emergency, pick up the phone and call 999 or 1-1-2. 0818-96-96-96. Eve and Una are so articulate about their experiences. Thank you for sharing your awful stories. Not easy for them. I'm shocked to hear what little support there is for victims of abuse. How do we get this changed? Well, one thing that... Una Ring and Eve McDowell both are, even though it's happening too bloody slowly, particularly for Eve, they are both change makers in our society. And with tomorrow being International Women's Day, uh, if there was a little award that you could present Una and Eve for being change makers in our society, then I'd happily hand it to them now. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. Cork's 96 FM. Somebody on the phone says when politicians were being harassed, it wasn't long before Drew Harris himself, the guy, the commissioner, was on the case. What help is there for those two women? Well, one thing that Una would say and she has said many times, is when she did complain to the guards, they were absolutely brilliant. So so they're not to be... Their, their uh, diligence isn't to be questioned here, but good point. 0818 96 96 96. I was reading a lot of back and forth on social media, Twitter especially over the weekend, but it comes up everywhere. It's on Facebook too. There was a piece published in babycentre.co.uk One of the things that comes without an instruction book, and it was the biggest fright of my life when my own two kids were born in the Ernville Hospital all those years ago. Uh, They came into the world within 15 or 16 minutes of each other late one night, and I was looking for the instruction book. And then I realised there isn't one. But then I also realised very quickly, as did the missus, that you are surrounded by people who think they wrote their own instruction book and with the best will in the world will give you every kind of instruction known to man and tell you this is really sound advice and follow this advice and you won't go wrong. And some of it's to do with feeding and some of it's to do with crying and picking them up and giving them a dummy and letting them sleep in your bed and letting them choose what they want to eat and feeding themselves and what they drink and how you get them to sleep and whether you should rock them. You, so there's no actual instruction book, but there's 101 different ones full of all sorts of information delivered to you with sort of this kind of, what I call it, compassion emoji that they look at you as if to say you're the first person ever had a child in the world and you haven't a clue what you're doing. Here's the instruction book as I wrote it. Maya Dunphy chimed in on that one because part of it was about letting the child cry it out and letting the child cry themselves to sleep and recognising the difference between a distressed cry and just a cry cry. Because there is such a thing. We had it in stereo. I know, we twins. But Maya Dunphy came back out and said, no, don't, I've never let, and her baby's called Tom, I've never let Tom cry it out and I never will and I don't regret it and stop that. Vanessa, how old is Oshin now? Morning. 
Um, good morning. He is eight months. He's just reached the eight-month mark. Can you tell from his cries whether he's distressed or just, as they say in Irish, canavshawling? Um, yeah. I mean, there's there's two different cries. There's that little cry before the imminent cry, you know, that um, they give you the little warning cry, the, uh, yeah. and then they go into a full wail um, if their needs are not met or if you're not trying to need, meet their needs. Um, so, yeah, there is that pre- the preliminary um, little cry. And when up until now, this is not scientifically proven yet, but up until about three, four months, there's different little preliminary cries depending on what's wrong with the child. This is uh, the Dunstan baby language uh, theory. So it's, it's not proven need, yet, but there is. You have to figure out which one it is. Yeah. yeah. Yes. And there are those little uh, differences in the little whale yeah. and you, before they actually get to the hysterical crying. You wrote about this on Facebook. You you enjoyed that article by Kelly. You've been surrounded with people with their own instruction. Did you did you go looking for the instruction book the minute you came into your arms, <laughs> and then find um, there wasn't well, one? Right. So my situation is an interesting one because my little one was five weeks early. Right. Um, my heart rate plummeted down to thirty eight, and then his heart rate plummeted, and before I passed out. They had to do a C-section. The last thing I heard is, if we don't get him out soon, he's not going to make it. Which is not what any new parent wants to hear. So luckily for me, I was in hospital for a week after because my heart rate never recovered. It was still down in the 40s. So I had about six days before I was plunged into that world of brilliant parents who have amnesia about what it was really like to have a newborn. Um, so I got that little chance to bond with my son before being, you know, uh, you have to let them cry it out or you're giving them a dummy. You know, you have to take that away someday. Oh, um, you're, you're bottle feeding because he was so early. Um, I had to bottle feed because no breast milk came. Yes. Now, you know, I'm very secure in myself. I can explain that. I can rationalize that. But any other mother, especially one going through postnatal depression, that's a big trigger for someone asking them if they're breastfeeding, asking them very personal, intimate questions about raising their, their child. That can really break a new mum. Yeah. And so when I shared the... Uh, the article there on Facebook, um, it was literally because I am sick to death of hearing these things. My mum, I love her to bits. My sister, I love her to bits. But you can't spoil a child with time. You can't. That's not a thing. Giving them your time, if you've nothing else to give them, that's not going to ruin them. And that is one of the trigger words for me was you're ruining him. You're ruining your child. Mm. It's such a triggering, loaded word. It's just horrible for any new So you don't believe that a child can be spoiled, do you, Vanessa? No? You, can tr- you can spoil a child. A newborn hasn't got that concept yet. They, don't, they haven't got the pathways in their brain to connect A and B yet. Mm. So like, like if you put a shock collar on a dog, they're not going to know why they're being shocked. They just know they're being shocked. The same thing if you scream at a newborn, they don't know why you're screaming. 
they don't know because of this behavior, they're screaming at me because of this behavior. And as well, a newborn doesn't have the ability to manipulate. They don't have that concept yet. If they're crying, it's very direct. They have a reason for it. Mm-hmm. So the idea that they're going to manipulate you by crying to get your attention, you know, they don't have that concept. Yeah. yeah. I guess in younger mothers nowadays, it's a harsh reality that a lot of them anyway will go back to work within six months. So yes. baby's got to be ready for, mam- for mammy to leave. So stuff that might have taken until baby was four or five now has to be fast-tracked into six months. And maybe some of the advice yes. comes from a kind place, Vanessa. It, it all comes from a kind place. Don't get me wrong. It yeah. all comes from wanting to help. But the issue is the scientific data, if you look at the studies that have come out from America right through to Germany, um, a lot of the studies say you do not make a child feel more secure and more independent by abandoning them. And and they newborns especially have such a close bond with their primary caregiver because they rely so heavily on us. They don't have the ability to look after themselves. They don't have the pathways in the brain again to be able to process this as mommy's doing this for my own good or daddy's not picking me up because I need to learn to be independent. They just know that there's something wrong and nobody is helping. So it actually serves a sense of abandonment if you don't look after their needs. It's Mm. not helping them. Mm. And it's not going to, if you do help them, it's not going to create, because this is the thing you're going to spoil them, it is not going to to create behavioural issues down the road if you look after their needs. That's what you're there for. Mm. And Regardless is that, is of society, that just your own it's, a, it's a biological thing. And is that just your own instinct as a mom speaking, Vanessa? I, I know everyone puts in work and, and reads a book before before baby arrives and might read several books before baby arrives. Oh, come here. You can read, you can read all the books in the world and it's still not going to prepare you. So this is, com- this I know, is, this is coming from within yourself, is it? No, not just myself. I'm one, I believe in science and I have looked at the data ranging back from 1986. They've been trying to uh, destroy this myth or, or, or explore this myth that, um, you can spoil a child by picking it up, by handling it, by uh, answering its cries. They've been trying to do this since 1986, scientifically. And if you look at the scientific data, the last one, I think, uh, came out of Germany and Belgium. Uh, It was a joint study. And they looked at tens of thousands of babies. And half of the babies, they let cry it out. And half of the babies uh, were very over-attentive what you would consider over-intentive. And what they found was there was no behavioural changes from, they they looked at the three-month mark, the six-month mark, and the the 18-month mark. Mm -hmm. And there was no difference in uh, independence or security from the children who were, uh, as we would say, mollycoddled. You know, there was no issue of being spoiled because of time that was given to them. And likewise, if you can't give that time, you also shouldn't be shamed because we live in that society, because we have to work. Probably the best bit of advice we were ever given 
as new parents, and okay, it's 25 years ago now, is there is no right way, there is no wrong way, there's your way and whatever works for the child. And there's always a chance to fix it. There is always time with your baby, with your child, as they grow to change the relationship or to develop the relationship. Um, When you have a newborn, a lot of parents feel that instant connection, that absolute love. Not all parents feel that. They have to get to know their baby. That takes time. Um, And that's not an easy thing. My sister herself had postnatal depression uh, and I stepped in to help her with her firstborn. Uh, for about two months you know it's not an easy thing being a parent and there's no as you said there's no right way there is no wrong way there's no correct way and I think that's the big thing people want to say there's a correct way of doing things when it comes to a human being we are always learning we are always developing and we are always changing that's the one thing that's absolutely certain come back to that which you said a while ago Vanessa you said you, you respect science and research and we all do. Science and research will point in a particular way, won't it? Um, it will. And one thing about science is they're always trying to prove themselves wrong. So That's if they true. do get it wrong, they're the first ones to tell you, you know, That's and right. new studies are coming out all the time. Like, like you said, when I was born, I was born in 1988 and the overwhelming feeling was let them cry it out. Leave them in the crib. Uh, Don't sleep um, in the same bed because of SIDS. And SIDS was a huge thing. And SIDS is a big thing that we need to look out for. Um, But the idea of co-sleeping was absolutely terrifying to my mum because she was told that if you sleep in the same bed as your child, you're going to kill it. Well, you could roll over on top of the child, we were always told. So don't do that. Yeah. 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 Which is not exactly true, giving this the scientific evidence that yes SIDS is an issue but there are things that you can do like the uh, the next to me sleepers are absolutely wonderful contraptions I use one then you'll get paediatricians coming out against all sorts of different contraptions and giving medical reasons why they're, why they're not right or not or not safe. But I guess there's, there's no right way and wrong way, as you're saying here. Just before I let you go, Vanessa, I think she's a great mother, says this call. But I do think a baby learns how to be in charge very fast. I'm not sure about this neural wiring thing at all. I think that's a case of within the matter of a few months, your baby knows how to get what it wants from you. Would you agree? Yeah, but it's an expectation that you you build up with the child. Uh, And as they grow, when a child reaches about 18 months, and this is what the research shows, when they reach 18 months, that's when they start piecing things together and testing the boundaries to see what they can actually do. And they're looking to you, they're asking you, what is my boundary? Um, What can I do? What can't I do at 18 months? So that's when you really need to put in... The, the legwork of what is the boundaries. All right. Vanessa, great as always. By the way, enjoy Glasgow. I know you've moved. Yeah, there. I'm I'm really happy. I, I'm I'm with my partner uh and yeah, we're we're good. We're good. good. Good, lovely place, beautiful, beautiful city. I may have long and happy years there. Vanessa, thank you. And our best to, to baby Oshin. 0818 96 96 96. Your thoughts on this one? I think this could go anyway. And we'll take as many calls and messages and texts as we can. Uh, my mother used to say, says Mary, they say, who are they? And have you ever seen their children?
Back to it and plenty more after the news. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. Cork's 96 FM. You're now up to date on the home of the best music mix, Cork's 96 FM. Stay there for a second, Vic. The minds are live. Join the conversation. Call 0818 96 96 96. Extra WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Cox 96FM. We'll return to the goods and bads and do's and don'ts of parenting a small baby. Uh, Chatting to Vanessa there before news about her experience with eight-month-old Oshin. How old are James and Tom now? Tom is four and James is eight, just eight. When they were tiny. Yeah. Were you a very attentive mom, or did you ever chance leaving them cry it out? What did you think? It's really hard to leave them cry it out. But they do say that there is some advantage to, to helping them learn how to self-soothe, and that's kind of what it is, really. Wait, were I you surrounded by people giving you contradictory information? Oh, yeah. Yeah, always. People will give you ten different pieces of advice, and it's it's all down to personal experience, really, and whatever works for each individual, I think, you know? Yeah. No right way, no wrong way. I, don't your th- way. I yeah. think you just have to feel your way through it, and if something tells you to go and see to your child, go and see to your child. Yeah. And were they different in the way they responded that way? They're very different people, children, all the rest of it, and they were very different babies. Um, James, my eldest, was very kind of self-sufficient, very independent, and didn't always need to have somebody around. Tom, my youngest fella, the complete opposite. He's a total mummy's boy. And he wants to be, even as a baby, even when he was first born, he wanted to be held. He wanted to be close to me. He didn't want to be put in a cot on the side of the bed. He didn't want any of that. He just, and even to this day, still at four years old, he just loves to feel that there's another human being somewhere near him, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. And the contest between the uh-huh. two. Vic, thanks. Oh, wait, one eight ninety six nine. 96, 96. We'll come back to that. Uh, lots of thoughts on it uh, coming in. But I mentioned with, uh, oh, let me do this because I'll forget it otherwise. Hold on for me one second, Connor. I need to get this out of the way because I'll forget it. We are with our friends this week at Carrigland Furniture and Carpets. We've teamed up with them with a fabulous prize, a €1,500 Euro voucher on Friday. And you can spend it on anything under the roof of Carrigaline furniture and carpets, whether it's respa mattresses and beds or quality flooring and carpets. Once it's inside their four walls, you can use this voucher against it. The 96M production department, Darren, is having great fun with these. Um, These are our little celebrity clues. Who's the celebrity who's bouncing on the bed? Now, Darren, of course, has decided to put 101 double meaning entendres into each one of these, which makes each one funnier than the one before. So who is today's celeb on the bed? Oh my God, it's good to be back. I haven't seen you since, I don't know, it's just, uh, yeah, it's good to be back. It's good to see you guys. (laughs) I mean, I... Oh, Darren Johnson, your mind is a sewer. Oh, Who is this? It's good to be back. I haven't seen you since. I don't know. It's just, uh, yeah, it's good to be back. It's good to see you guys. 
Who is that? Your name and theirs, please. 083 396 96 96. I mentioned before 10 talking to Vanessa, she's moved to Glasgow now, which means she'll be equally interested in this particular topic of conversation. One thing we always suggest to you on the opinion line is there's something we're not talking about that you think we should or something that you think might make a worthwhile conversation here of the morning. Let us know. That's exactly what Connor did. Connor O'Leary, you're in Glasgow. You've moved in, moved to Glasgow a couple of years ago and you want to have the flight, the Cork-Glasgow flight, reinstated. It's already been covered in the, the Herald, the Scottish Herald, and you think there's a good case for it. Morning. Good morning. How's it going, PJ? Good. Yeah, there's definitely a good case for it. Um, I have I started the petition because I've been in contact with a lot of people and they're all saying the same thing, that they wanted this flight reinstated. It was in operation before COVID and with Stobart Air, it went bust. So Aer Lingus stopped operating that route. Now, this route was in operation with Ryanair at some stage as well, but not for a good couple of years. Um, they do Edinburgh every day, so, don't they? Yeah, it's to Edinburgh, yeah. yeah. And even when we have flown, flown from Cork to Edinburgh, a lot of the people on that plane are actually heading to Glasgow. So when we get the bus back, for example, that's full of most mostly people going to Glasgow. And a lot of people will drive as well. Connor, it sounds like an awful stupid Glasgow. question, but how far is Edinburgh and Glasgow? How far is between them? Uh, I think it's about 60 miles. Right. About 60 miles. Okay, okay. so it's a good hour's drive. Yeah, oh yeah, definitely, yeah. But there's there's good demand, though, for this flight, though, to be reinstated. So, yeah. uh, like, I've ta- spoke to people living over here saying, like, they, that they'd like to visit Cork, but it's kind of a deterrent because they just, they don't, can't be bothered with tra- the travelling to Edinburgh. Yeah. So it is a kind of a deterrent. So I think it'd be good to promote a bit of tourism in Cork if we got this flight reinstated. Now, em- Emerald, who now operate those Aer Lingus regional flights and, in fact, recently announced that they're going to start flying out of Bristol, they said that they don't operate the route and as they enter, this is typical airline speak, as we enter into the next stage of growth, we're constantly looking for new opportunities to grow our route network, so we'll always consider ways. They're not ruling it in and they're not ruling it out. No, I see that all right, Jeff. It's a, a very diplomatic answer, so I don't know. I don't know what will happen. But we're, I'm giving them the route, so I'm hoping they might just pick up on us yeah. and hoping to just draw as much what, attention as possible. What brought you to Glasgow in the first place, sir? Uh, the missus moved over to study, and then we ended up kind of settling here, and now we're just here now. So, Do you like it there? Yeah, I quite like it, yeah. Yeah. I, I like it. It's it's not too far as well, like yeah, not too far as well to travel back. But it would just make things easier if there was a direct flight. Yeah. How often would you and or your missus come back and have your kids? No, no kids. No. How, how often no would you come uh, back if you had the chance? Oh, if I had the chance, I'd come back every couple of weeks, even every second weekend, depending on work. So it would just make my life a lot easier if there was a direct flight back. Yeah, It was carried and, uh, in the Glasgow Herald. What kind of a response did that get? I think it was fairly positive. I've seen other people sharing it online who are all in favour of the route being reinstated. Yeah. Um, like, I know many people from Cork and other parts of Munster who attend the university in Glasgow, and they all said that would be a great benefit to them to have the flight back. Yeah. There's a petition like, on change.org, I think, as well, isn't there? There is, yeah. 
Yeah. If you Google search the simple phrase reinstate the Cork Glasgow flight, there's a lot of results there. There's been a lot of internet traffic, yeah, as it were. There is, yeah. It's it started being picked up on because it was in the Glasgow Herald and it was in the Glasgow Times as well. And I think there was one or two other uh, news outlets that had kind of covered it as well. Yeah. So it does seem to be popular enough. And thing is, with Cork as well, there is. I was in contact with like these Celtic supporters clubs, yes. and a lot of their members say that that's another issue for them that they would like to see this flight reinstated. So there's definitely support for it at the moment. Yeah, whether it'll happen or not, I don't know. You could see it being busy on a big football weekend, all right. You know. Oh, definitely, yeah, one hundred percent. Because I know a few people, people in Cork who support Celtic who fly over regularly. Okay, and they have so, to yeah, make the sixty-mile trip down from Edinburgh to to Glasgow. Yeah. All right, Connor. Listen, you wanted us to cover it. You contacted us. That's the right thing for people to do. Happy to to drive it forward for you in whatever way we can. If you go on change.org and just search reinstating the Cork Glasgow flight, it comes up and you can sign the petition and see what kind of support is out there. Good man, Connor. Thank you. That's Connor O'Leary from Cork, based in Glasgow. The flight hasn't operated since 2021 when Stobart went out of business. Emerald, who now do the Aer Lingus Regional and last week, like we said, announced the Bristol connection and God, was it Tracy we were talking to from from Bristol and if they've given her the lotto numbers she couldn't have been happier. So I'm sure there'd be people like Connor who would be delighted to see the Glasgow flight coming back and it's a big business centre. It's a major business centre. If you were to ask me Edinburgh and Glasgow are two beautiful cities I would have a preference for Edinburgh as a beautiful city, but Glasgow is not without its merits, shall we say? What would you think? Would you go, and not just for a football match, 0818 96 96 96, on drones? And what Owen Corey was saying about the fact that this problem has been known about globally since 2016 at least, and we all remember covering, I remember covering the Gatwork drone, or the Gatwick drone problem here because there was Cork connections to Gatwick at the time and it was troublesome shall we say it's not the first rodeo in terms of dealing with drones it's not like anyone in the government or anyone in the Dublin Airport Authority realised yesterday that drones can be troublesome but as Owen Corey was saying it's being pushed around the tabletop nobody wants to take responsibility and say let's just make it happen here PJ the Green Party should be left looking after the parks and the trees. Stay away from safety in the air. Just look what they're doing to traffic on the ground. Oh, yeah, I, that article that was in the Business Post at the weekend, and there was more of it yesterday on the television news and more of it on the daily newspapers yesterday. The kind of things that they're thinking of and they've been driven by the Green Party. And Eamon Ryan has... I, I say this as a motorist, and a motorist... It's necessary for me to be a motorist for one particular very personal reason. I would love to be able to take the bus in here every day. I take the bus in here a lot, particularly in the summertime. I'm very well served by a bus. But when I leave here at any time between, say, quarter to one and quarter past one, I have to go and collect my son from his day centre. His day centre is not served by a bus route. Even if it was served by a bus route, I still have to get there, pick him up, get another bus route into town. My car is is essential 
for him every day. So I do, I feel a bit put upon by the Green Agenda in that they don't want me to be able to drive to work. They would prefer I didn't drive to work. And they're going to make it very hard for me eventually to drive to work. That's how I feel. Maybe I'm wrong. I'd love to see if Eamon Ryan would, would chat about it with me. I feel a bit put upon. It's necessary for me to drive to work. The missus, on the other hand, Queen Bee, could actually commute to work because both ends of her journey are on less than 100 yards from a bus stop. She could, and I think during the summer she, she probably will. I got onto the Minister's office this morning asking that Cork and Shannon be included in drone measures being taken over the next couple of weeks. I think everyone should because the airport is vital to our economy. That's just a random person who called us up and called up the airport and said, can you please sort out the drones? Because, again, bring it back to where we could be. We could be sitting here. I could be sitting here in July or I could be sitting here in June talking about chaos at the airport because a drone was seen over the runway. I could, I could be. And right now there's nothing to stop it happening. That's kind of the scary part. 0818969696. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. Cork's 96 FM. Let's do that again in case you missed it after the news in between many different topics of conversation. Our clue with our friends at Carrigaline Furniture and Carpets. Who is this? Who's bouncing on our bed? Oh my God, it's good to be back. I haven't seen you since... I don't know, it's just, uh, yeah, it's good to be back. It's good to see you guys. His name and yours, please. 083 396 96 96. We had a couple of other things coming in. We got an email from, it's not, it's Aoife. And again, if anyone has any ideas here, it kind of follows on from what is the right or the wrong way to, to raise a newborn and the attention you should pay them and, and all of that. PJ, my baby just won't stay asleep. She's five months old. I've asked everyone what I should do. She has a bedtime routine, bath, dim the lights. She sleeps in a cot and I sleep next to it. I read her a story. Uncle Mad! I don't know if it's one big thing gone wrong or all small things. I'm worried she needs all the sleep she's missing too. I listen to everyone. I feel I've tried everything and I don't know what to do next. And that's very heartfelt and comes in to us from Aoife. Opinion at 96 of M.A. We'll see if we can find a... A response to that. Vanessa is totally right about giving baby time, says this message. Just look at adoptees. Half of us are shut off emotionally. The other half have abandonment issues. Also, I know a lot of people who had babies during COVID, and they say that was the easiest time to raise a newbie because nobody was interfering, which is a fair point. Jules says, listening to Vanessa, she's absolutely right. There is no perfect parent. And yet we still have other messages coming in to say, well, your child learns very quickly just how to get mommy's attention. And they they learn what sound brings mommy. And doesn't matter what it's for, they learn how to make... I heard that before. The child knows what sound brings mom or dad 
running and they learn it really quickly and they learn how to make it. So it doesn't matter whether they are upset and hungry or have a crappy nappy or whatever or all they want is their toy and they can't get it because they're inside the cot. They know how to make that sound. Oh, on Aoife's email, the poor woman is, is desperate. Kelly Gagan from Sleepy Stars, expert in child sleep. Kelly, you've probably seen a hundred emails like that, but the poor woman is desperate. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? Yeah, this email, the, it's very common tone of an email that we would get around three or four in the morning. And they're not emailing us because they want to have a laugh or have the crack with me. They're emailing because they've reached breaking point. So, um, and there are things that she can do to help baby get more sleep. So, but it is very confusing when you've got Granny Mary and Auntie Anne offering their little bit of tidbits and they just don't know which direction to go in. Yeah. And as Vanessa said, when we were talking to her earlier on, the Granny Mary, Auntie Anne, you know, Uncle Tom even, or the man next door, or the woman two doors down, it's all coming from a kind place. Absolutely. They don't mean any harm. And you you get all sorts of things. Oh, keep them up in the, uh, during the day and they'll sleep well at night. That's actually the complete reverse of what will happen. The child will be in a severe overtired state. So... Um, yes, they mean well. And I often say to my clients when they have family living nearby who are trying to kind of, you know, encourage them in different direction, I'd say nod, smile, say thanks and pick one or two sources of information that you trust. If you're scrolling on Google at four in the morning, you're going to be more confused after the scroll than you were <laughs> before. So I would say, you know, pick either your GP, your public health nurse. I'm a maternity nurse and a pediatric sleep consultant. I've been doing this for over 25 years. And parents wouldn't come back to me with child number two and child number three for advice if they didn't have a good experience the first time around. So um, so I, I would say, yeah, she's probably really tired herself and also very confused at this point. Mm. One thing that we were told was that, well, baby will find their own level. They will realise very quickly how much rest they need. Is that nonsense? Um, some babies fall into an, a rhythm. Um, a lot of babies need guidance um, to encourage good naps. So, th- for example, a baby of five months old needs approximately 11 to 12 hours sleep at night, and that is restorative sleep. So that helps build the immune system. That helps brain development. And during the day, in and around four and a half hours total during the day. So if baby's day is not complementary to the nights, then baby's going to be overtired. They're going to have a party at four in the morning, or they may have like um, a child who's overtired will have multiple wake-ups before midnight and a very early start the next day. A child who doesn't have a good, chunky, big nap in the middle of the day, centralised in the middle of their day, will often have um, a nap, say, at bedtime and wake up and be like, hi, mom, do you want to go to coppers? Like, let's party. <laughs> you know, so... <laughs> So and no one wants a two and a half hour party in the middle of the night. You yeah. know, you're you're looking for you don't mind a couple of mini wake ups, you know, and quick resettles. But your child be, being awake and unsettled for two and a half hours, it's not good for Baba and it's yeah. not good for for the parents. Work with me on the overtired thing for a second, Kelly. Mm-hmm. Like overtired versus exhausted. It's it's a layman's thing to think, well, that child normally takes a sleep from say two to four in the afternoon Mm -hmm. and then they go to bed at their normal time and ping they're up at 1am 
if we keep them up and keep them playing and keep them amused and keep them watching, t- watching telly for those two hours, they will be exhausted when they go to bed. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. So why would they wake up then? So overtired children find it very difficult to link sleep cycles. So you and I, basically, we know how to do that. But in saying that your normal bedtime could be 10 p.m. And for whatever reason, you've had a stressful, busy day and you didn't get into bed till 1130. You would think that, oh, I might be able to fall asleep quite quickly. But sometimes you've missed the train to sleepy town and you're like, I should be exhausted. I should be going to sleep now. You're in an overtired cycle. So you basically get another adrenaline kick and it keeps you going. So that often happens with young children. They We stretch them a little bit too far or parents are looking for the signs they're looking for the eyes being rubbed the the yawns but they were filling the dishwasher when that happened so i don't wait for the signs i work off a strong body clock so gently guiding the child towards a routine that so that we know their times every day that they okay. go down for their naps and they have their feet so strong so, hunger habits and strong okay. sleep habits so bedtime is bedtime nap time is nap time food time is food time and that sort of enables baby to learn Well, it it helps encourage a strong body clock. So it reduces the gray areas for um, tired parents. And I've flown around the world doing this for parents all around the world. And um, I might have a a five-month-old who has um, 20-minute nap three times a day and up all night long. It takes me seven to 10 days of helping guide baby towards routine before I see vast improvements. So it's not just like a two day fix. It's about trying again the next day. It's like starting a diet. I'm going to try again tomorrow. Go to a diet again tomorrow. So it's about gently guiding. You can't just say, okay, Kelly from Sleepy Start said you have to sleep for two and a half hours in the afternoon. The baby's going to be like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> so if you can gently guide baby towards it by helping baby, no crying. Okay. By helping, I say to parents, what's the path of least resistance? Some parents will say, well, if I hold them on the sofa, I'll get a nice big chunk 
waking up or if I put them in the stroller, you know, I'll park them in the hall and then when they wake up, I'll go for a walk. So it's about gently guiding them, but it's not a magic fix. There is effort there, but then it's so worth it when you can say, okay, I can clean the house or watch Netflix or make a play date because you know where your child's hunger habits and sleep habits lay. Mm. Bedtime stories, are they too young? Does it overexcite them? Um, no, I normally start the bedtime stories at around six months and up to six months, I usually have a playlist. So um, maybe like four or five songs that I would play from the moment they go on the change table to get their nappy, their jammies on. So it, it's a, called a sleep cue. So you're telling the brain what's about to happen. You don't just want to go from the play mat in the living room into a dark room. OK, we want to cue the brain up for sleep. Like we know we look at the clock or we kind of go, OK, after this program, I'm going to go to bed. We tell ourselves when we're going to go to bed. For a child, we we want to signal to the brain. So we lower the lights to signal to the brain, start producing melatonin, which is easier at this time of the year. Um, we can play a playlist, you know, give them a little snuggy teddy. Um, you can read them a, a story, but at five months, they're probably just going to try and eat it. <laughs> <laughs> there is that. Yeah. yeah. Mom is getting a bit guilty over the whole thing now at this stage, and she feels that she's she's failing in some way, which of course she's not. It's just these 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 things happen. It's tough going and I would like to invite her onto one of our courses for free if that's okay, just to give her a little bit of guidance and direction okay. of where she's going. We were actually just in Cork there on sa- uh, Saturday, just gone, and we had a um, great response. We had parents of babies of all different ages just getting some information because your baby doesn't come with a, an instruction manual. It's kind of like, here you go, oh, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Uh, good luck with that. And then you're surrounded so, by loads and loads of people who think they wrote the original instruction manual. And, what, like, and, and I'm sure that's a very generous offer to Aoife and she'd be only too delighted with it, uh, Kelly. At what stage should someone be looking for help? So I have this course, it's called Let's Get Started. And it, it was born basically because of my return clients. So when I open my waiting list, within 10 minutes, I have 600 applications for people who want to work with me. So, and I can't just work with return clients. So I started the Let's Get Started webinar, which helps parents from uh, with newborns. Things like, oh, I'm going back to work at nine months old. So don't wait until baby's eight months old to try and guide them towards good sleep if you know you're going back to work at nine months old. So it's about setting strong foundations early on. It's, uh, I support breastfeeding, bottle feeding, combination feeding. So if your child is ready when you are ready. So for some parents, that's very early on. They have their own companies. They've, you know, they've got three other children in the house and for other parents it's it's you know lastminute.com and going back to work or you know they just reach breaking point but they can only look for help when they're ready to look for help and I want to kind of like make that known that it's okay to ask for help because some parents feel shame they're, they they feel like I should know what to do no you shouldn't you've yeah. never done this before nobody <laughs> knows I've done it Hundreds of times personally, so I know what to do. Um, but the first in the early days hadn't a clue, you know, but we live and we learn. So go to someone who's really experienced and ask for their help. That's what I would suggest. So whenever the parent is ready, the child is ready. Mm. Screens in, in the cot, yes or no? 
No. Okay, so screens emit a blue light, which impacts the production and release of melatonin in the brain. And even for like our toddlers, so our 16, 18 month old children, um, I'll often say, well, what do they do after dinner time? Oh, they watch cartoons. So even though they could just be standing in the middle of the living room staring off, their brain is like noises, words, colors, you know, their brain is very active. And um, their their brain is not getting the signal to start producing that melatonin. So then the parents are like, they're bouncing around the bedroom at seven o'clock when I'm trying to put them to bed. But we didn't let their brain wind down before bed. So okay. look, they are screen children. I use screens when I'm working as a nanny, when I'm cooking the dinner, but I don't use them after five. I'm like, hey, do you want to watch Paw Patrol? Could <laughs> stay away from under my feet? <laughs> okay. So um, if you use them in a controlled way, then no problem. But if you are having issues with your children's sleep, I would say um, around after 530, if your child's on a seven to seven, I would say um, no screens. If you don't have any issues, that's absolutely fine. But even for us, I know we're all addicted to our phones and all the rest, but some people are are more sensitive to screens than others. So they might find it more difficult to switch off if they've been scrolling on their phone. Okay, and lastly, um, any thoughts on the whole self-soothing thing, Kelly? Should you let a child self-soothe, cry it out? Okay, so that's a, a very controversial topic. The way that I work is, I work off the body clock. We put the feeds and the naps in the right place. We help the child to sleep. If we've been trying this for, you know, two, two and a half weeks and the child still can't do it, I do use a self-soothing method, but the parents are in and out like yo-yos to show the the baba that they're still around. And again, these parents aren't doing this because it's fun. They've done it because they've tried absolutely everything else. Okay. So it's like 20 seconds in and out, 20 seconds in and out, 30 seconds in and out. So the parents are in and out, in and out to show the baba that I'm still around, but it's sleepy time. I'm still around, but it's sleepy time. But also we have to ask this mama, um, Aoife, you know, how baby goes to sleep. If baby goes to sleep on the boob or on the bottle or with the soother, they need those things in order to go back asleep. So whatever helps a child to sleepy town, they need in order to stay in sleepy town. So if you're bouncing and rocking, then you've trained your child's brain to only know how to go to sleep with that. So mm-hmm. we use that to set the body clock and then we try and gently move away from it. But some children who have a high reliance on the soother, sometimes we do need to to take it away with a little bit of a controlled cry. But again, parents wouldn't be telling their best friends, their sisters, you know, about the experience and, and the waiting list wouldn't be in such demand if they didn't have success. There you go. Um, so, so yeah, uh, if, if you want, you can tell Aoife. We'll be there on the 7th of May in the Rochestown Park Hotel. And she's more than welcome to come. She can contact um, us uh, via the email and I can pop that on to you. And um, she can she can join along and hopefully we can point her in the right direction. Wonderful. She can pop you an email, kelly at sleepystars.ie. Kelly Gagan, kelly at sleepystars.ie. I.e. Thank you for that. Yes, 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 yes. I myself, and at my um, years, I'm, I'm proof positive of what your parents do when you're really, really small can stick with you. When I was a smallie, I, I didn't sleep through the night. I think, I think the first night I slept through the night, my mother picked me up and woke me to see was I alive. That's how, that's how I remember her telling me. But she used to put a radio into the bed um, with music on. 
Larry Gogan actually was back in the day. She used to put a radio into the bed late at night to see if I go to sleep. And to this day, and I'm not a child anymore, to this day, I have a radio by my bed. Much to the annoyance of my other half, but still, I do. I have a radio by my bed at night. 0818-96-96-96. Right, the weather. It is colder today, much colder than it was yesterday. Looks like it's going to get even colder overnight and into tomorrow. Two weeks ago, Alan O'Reilly from Carla Weather said, don't believe all the talk about Beast from the East 2. I don't see it, and there's a lot of sensational reporting going on. It is very cold, Alan, which you did correctly predict it would be, and it's probably going to get colder for the next day or two. No Beast, though. Good morning. Good morning. No, certainly no beast from the east, but a good blast of cold from the north, um, which has has made it feel much, much cooler. Mm. And it's a very interesting 48 hours of weather forecasting coming up. Um, So for Cork, it's probably going to be a bit of a a messy kind of night. So you're going to have some cold temperatures. um, And away from the south coast, there will be some frost. But there's a chance then of a few showers just catching um, southern parts of Cork, especially maybe West Cork. But just there's a low pressure system just going to come very close to the south coast. And that could bring a sprinkling of sleet and snow, mm. especially snow on higher ground. Because when the, um, when the low pressure hits the cold air, you can get snow and sleet formed, can't you? <clears throat> Exactly. You have the cold air from the north and then you have the precipitation or the moisture coming up from the low pressure system and where they meet is where it gets interesting. Now, there's a risk of some kind of heavier sleet and snow for a time than early in the morning tomorrow morning, so around 7 or 8 o'clock, but probably turn into rain for some higher ground. Some of those higher roads um, in Cork could certainly get a little bit tricky in the morning. And then there's going to be some possibly some more kind of showers um, through the day, but there'll probably be rain kind of once we get past 10 mm. or 11 o'clock. Now, funnily enough, then we have another low pressure system, and this is the one that's going to cause the real headaches. Um, it's going to be fairly straightforward in Cork, though, I think. Well, I say I, I think in that it's going to bring some heavy sleet and snow for a time on tomorrow night, Wednesday night. For, for the zone, do you think? Well, for a lot of places, but it's going to turn to rain very quickly. Yes. So it, 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 it'll it turn to rain from most parts in the south overnight, Wednesday night into Thursday. Um, some heavy rain, actually, for a time on Thursday morning. Um, and temperatures will increase, especially near, near the south coast. It could even get back up to double digits, uh, over 10 degrees uh, for Thursday. But... Higher ground could see that snow kind of stay for a bit longer. So, again, Thursday morning on high ground could be tricky. Now, the the track of that low-pressure system is very tricky to forecast. The weather models are all over the place, really. I was going to get to that with you, Alan. Normally, following mm -hmm. your Twitter, you have a good handle on where the models are going and you're able to project it for us, sometimes as far as 10 days out. But at the moment, it seems to be doing what you do is like minding mice at a crossroads. Why is that? <laughs> yeah, well, and it's funny. There's more confidence in the weather models for five days' time than there is for three days' time. Right. Which is really unusual. 
Um, and the problem is this low pressure systems coming up against the cold from the north. And this doesn't happen that often. So the weather models don't really know who's going to win out and where the boundary is going to be and where the cold is going to meet the, the, the moisture. Um, so the weather models are chopping and changing. I made a comment last night that Met Aaron's 9 o'clock forecast on TV after the 9 o'clock news last night didn't go beyond Wednesday. It didn't which, actually. I saw that. Fair, yeah. It's unusual. But the reason is, is the uncertainty. Now, I like to give people a heads up and give them the options and tell them what might happen because otherwise there's a bit of a void and people kind of wonder what's going on. Um, the problem is, is that, PJ, that, that, that band of low rain, sleet and snow could bring some very significant heavy snowfall to northern parts of the country Thursday and Friday. Yes. So if, if if anybody from your neck of the woods is heading up the country, especially maybe some of the, the Arctic drivers and things like that, working commercial drivers um, on Thursday into Friday, keep a very close eye on the weather forecast for where you're heading, not just where you are, because you could leave 10 degrees and rain in Cork and by the time you cross maybe the Shannon up around Galway, coming to, up towards there, you could be meeting a very, very different scene. Wow. So it's wow. very tricky. So you're saying very hard to predict for the next three days, but easier to predict five days out. So will this settle into a pattern by the weekend? And if it does, what will the pattern be? It, it looks like it'll turn a little bit cooler again, actually, as that low pulls away on Friday. Um, so it's, it's going to be cold again on Friday. So that 10 degrees could be very short-lived on Thursday. Um, and then it does look unsettled, um, but milder for the weekend down south. Mm. Um, now, Saturday mightn't be too bad a day with some good sunny spells, but Sunday and Monday is looking quite unsettled at the moment, but much milder. Yeah. March of many weathers. It really is true, isn't it, Ellen? Oh, it, it really is. It, it like I mean, March really can bring us any kind of weather. And that's like it. it and to be fair, it can be March of many weathers on the same day across the island, not yeah. even different days. This, this, is, But it is really just the changing of the seasons, meteorologically speaking, isn't it? That's normal. It is, it is. Now, look, we often get cold blasts in, in March, and this yeah. is the impact of that sudden stratospheric warming that we spoke about. But it, it just goes to show it doesn't always mean a beast from the east. It means a cold, northerly plunge on this occasion. Um, so it, this is the impact from the sudden stratospheric warming, but it's not what the headline writers and the tabloids wanted. So it's not bees from the East 2.0. Good man. All right. Thank you. As always, Alan O'Reilly of Carlo Weather. Follow him. You won't go wrong. You won't go wrong. I always say it. Of all of them out there, there there's there's two that we use uh, from time to time. There's Cahill Nolan and there's Alan. But Alan is streets and yards ahead of any weather uh, predictor we've ever had on the opinion and I said that with, without fear of contradiction 0818 96 96 96 a messy week be prepared for pretty much anything and it's going to be cold that's pretty much how you sum it up 0818 96 96 96 on Cork to Glasgow Caroline says Ryanair and Erlingus both fly Dublin Glasgow at half six every morning couldn't one of those flights go from Cork fair point Trish there are five flights to Glasgow from Dublin and seven to Edinburgh today alone between Ryanair and Aer Lingus. Surely at least one could be rerouted to come out of Cork. It would be wonderful for Cork and for Corkonians to be able to travel direct. And there is a point there. There's ten, there's dozens of flights a week going out of Dublin for Glasgow. Aer Lingus and Ryanair both serving it out of Dublin. Could we not... Could the powers that be not 
persuade either Aer Lingus or Glasgow, or sorry, or Ryanair, to sort out one for Cork, one a day from Cork. Twouldn't hurt, like, would it? Twouldn't hurt at all. 0818 96 96 96. Now, I don't know about you and your house insurance, but if we may not have time for this, there are two breaks to go, like, lads. Uh, your house insurance... I remember my mother-in-law, my late mother-in-law, being told one time that she couldn't get flood insurance. Now, if it ever flooded where my mother-in-law lived, Paul Kavanagh, we were all in trouble. Morning. Uh, Noah's Ark is what I call it, PJ. How? And that's not the first time. I remember going to one provider. I live on Maryborough Hill. And I was told I won't get flood insurance. Come on. Exactly. Well, you see, this is what this is part of what Charlie Weston wrote in the Irish Independent yesterday, and he asked me for my views on it. And some of the lads in the industry call me the painter, the patron saint of flooding because I I decided to study flooding all over the place. And what has happened here is that insurance companies uh, have commoditized home insurance and motor insurance, but home insurance in this particular instance is being commoditized and is all controlled by computer systems. And if the computer says no, you're in trouble. It means you probably get no flood or subsidence cover. Now, I was asked, I think I was trying to put a date in it there, but it was in and around the time of the 2009 floods, I was called to an insurer's office to view some documents on proposals to, uh, so that they wouldn't be picking up flood claims. And when I looked at the map, I had to, I had to ask for help. I said, I'm looking at it. I can see the red, the red band going through. But I said, I see West Cork on my left-hand side, and I see Yall on my right-hand side, and everything in between was wiped out. Mm-hmm. And they asked me for my comments, and I said, are you mad? Well, they said, we're after picking up a lot of flood claims in the area and our UK GO coding, and that's the word, GO coding, they call it, Mm. experts have decided that any house in these areas should not get flood and or subsidence cover. And this is, is, nothing has changed. Absolutely nothing has changed since 2009. Uh, For my mellow and Clonmel used to be on the headlines of the 6-1 News mm. every time there was a flood, followed by the South Mel. Mm. I could see why it would be difficult to get flood cover in from I, Paul, with all due respect to anyone who lives but, there. But, Same but not any, no, no, here's the point, PJ, not any longer. From I has been dry, to put it in the words of the Minister, as dry as snuff for the last eight years. Yeah. We, we have a flood defence system. Mellow has a flood defence system, so has Clonmel, Skibbereen have just got their one, and yes. there's others in progress at the moment. But there's supposed to be a memorandum of understanding between the insurance companies and the OPW, whereby they meet and share information. Well, I don't know what the hell I'm after calling them out with the minister, the Oireachtas, the central bank, and the department uh, of finance, and I'm still getting no answers. Yeah. Like, no, the, the, the reason it was something for me was, yes, it had a history, and thankfully things are better now. But, I mean, if they were quoting... Me and refusing flood cover at the top of Maryborough Hill. What hope did from I ever have? 
Well, you see, this is because in their statistics, and I hate those percentages and statistics, but when they work out these things, uh, Shanaquil was similar, parts of Blackpool were similar, where roads were diverted and things happened. And if you get, there's three types of flooding, you see, this is the problem. You have the flooding, we'll, we'll call it, that comes out of the sky. Okay, and comes straight down. That's what that's what the ones on the hills were about, where the water just came down and the drains were all blocked, and it flooded into houses. So that's one type of flooding. Then you have the coastal flooding, when we get the east wind blowing in and a high tide below on the back of Morrison's Island. Okay, and then the other type of flooding is where the water is coming in from Inniscarra Dam. Okay, from that side of of, of Cork City, and. The, wa- the, the land is wet because it's been saturated. The water starts to come. They have to let water out of the dam as well. And that water comes through the, through the city, through the two channels. And, uh, and you get more flooding. So there's different types of flooding. Yes. And, and, different, and, and your mother-in-law would have been caught in the one that comes out of the sky. Yes, yes. Come here. You, I know you have some thoughts on Morrison's Island. There's a big project going on down there at the moment. Well, I think there should be. A, I think it needs to be shown to the public. I've seen the video. The video now looks different to what I've seen. I've seen two or three of these, and as you know, uh, uh, the Love the Lee campaign. And I have a lot of friends in Love the Lee campaign. And I was saying, well, we're getting flooded. You're not. But I mean, if they can solve the problem in in, in an aesthetic way, so that the Lee and uh, the banks of the Lee still look well, and the latest video that they're circulating seems to make it look well, now we need to see it on paper. And I think the the people in the city centre, and mainly the businesses on Oliver Plunkett Street and all the streets, Princess Street and all that off of it, they need that protection. So it's about time it, come, it has come. Um, this is it. And I think it just needs a small bit more tweaking and make sure that everybody's involved and is happy. I'm, I'm unhappy, obviously, from the parking point of view. Mm. This parking space is going to be lost at the back of Morrison's Island. But they say it's going to be a beautiful new Latin quarter, is what they're calling it. So, you know, let's wait and see. All right. And then remembering a song from 1983, Radio Africa. <laughs> You'll remember it too. Paul, thank you. Paul Kavner from McCarthy Insurance. That's why you can't get flood insurance if you live on a mountain there's different kinds of flooding and they use things like geolocation and basically the whole thing is all screwed up join the conversation this is the opinion line with the Cork City Marathon take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team register at CorkCityMarathon.ie Cork's 96 FM the lines are live Join the conversation. Call 0818 96 96 96. Extra WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. Engagement with the subject of vestibular migraine, which I'd never heard of. We knew an awful lot more about it by the end of the week. Then we were contacted by somebody else who's had migraine since they were 12, and it's driving them crackers. They're now in their 30s. See if we can help them uh, later this hour. That and plenty more. 0818 96 96 96. Some engagement on Cork to Glasgow. 
as well. Interestingly enough, and it's in the news, it's leading the news, it's the lead story in the news and was all over the newspapers this morning. If it's something that you want us to bring up, we will. But nobody has called us about the eviction ban. We have that one call this morning about the lifting of the eviction ban at the end of the month. Happy to talk about it with you if you wanted to. But that's why we're not. Because it would seem no one cares. Maybe they do, maybe they don't. 0818 96 96 96. Here's a good story from the Glenmire Notice Board Facebook page. Well done to Chloe Dennehy. Best of luck to her as she goes forward to the national finals of the competition. How many young people from Glenmire have done this? Not too many, I'm guessing. What competition are they talking about? Ploughing. Chloe Dennehy. Good morning. Hello, PJ. Well, welcome to the show and congratulations on qualifying for the national finals. How did you get into ploughing? Um, I suppose I, I would have always been watching my own father here at home ploughing because we, we grow a small bit of tillage ourselves. So I suppose I would have always been watching that over the years. And um, about two years ago then I started working for uh, a man called Dave Mulcahy. And uh, he'd be heavily, I suppose, involved in competition ploughing. Mm-hmm. And um, he was preparing for ploughing at a national level last year. And I went out a couple of evenings with him when they were out with the plough and kind of got into it that way. So that's how I, we said we'd try the competition then on Saturday and see how we get on. Do you mind me asking what age you are? Uh, I'm 20. 20. Okay, congratulations on qualifying for the national final. Now, I'm a complete townie and a complete pick. But would you mind telling me what is a ploughing match? Like, it's not like you put a plough in the back of a ta- tractor and chase a ball around the field. Like, what is a ploughing match? What are you attempting to do? So I suppose uh, you're given you're you're given your plot of ground that you're you're told you know this is your plot you have to you have to play with that. But you're judged then on kind of a, a couple of different things. So your opening of the field on your opening split and. Um, your general overall work, so how straight it is, if it all kind of looks uniform, um, the amount of soil you're making available, uh, stuff like weed control then, you know, you don't want to see any kind of stubble or grass mm-hmm. or anything sitting on top of the ploughing. And um, your closing then and your middle, just overall how it how it looks and, you know, if, basically if, if, it's, if it's straight and uniform. Right, so straight and uniform depth and which means you have to keep the plough and the and the and the tractor on or sometimes people use a horse but I'm assuming you use a tractor uh, under control the speed control the depth controls the straightness all of that yeah exactly i see and you're marked on all different things you're not marked on the speed at which you complete the the plough are you um, you, you'd roughly, I, I had two hours and 50 minutes to, to complete my, my overall plot, okay. um, on Saturday. So you have to be, you know, you have to be out within that time. You have to have it all completed and obviously your penalties and docked then if, if you don't get out within that time. I remember when the ploughing, the, the national ploughing championships were in Mogili in East Cork not today nor yesterday, they were down there now but I remember the such an enormous business, this competitive ploughing and the agricultural business that surrounds it, but not a lot of women involved. Has it changed? Are there a lot of women involved now? 
Um, I suppose in general, I myself would see a, a lot more women in in agriculture in general, and I suppose obviously you'd see a lot more women ploughing as well at um, ploughing matches and national level. But overall, I do see you know a, a change there. You'd you'd see a lot more women involved in general in agriculture at the moment, which which is a good thing. Which is great. Yeah. yeah, it's great. You you plan to make agriculture a career, do you? Um, hopefully, anyway, that would be that would be the plan. Mm, um, you're, you're studying, studying agricultural yeah. science. Yeah. Where do you, yeah, st- where do you study science. that? Um, I'm in MTU in Bishopstown. I see. I see. And and the, so when is the next stage now of the ploughing? Um, well, September now will be the will be the the national oh. ploughing. So oh, you'll be going to the big a, one. Yeah. Wow. So there'll be a lot of a lot of practice between now and then. Yeah. Of course, you see, you're kind of working at the same time, aren't you? So it's handy. Yeah. You know, you. Oh, look, there's Chloe. She's brilliant with the old plough. Will you do that field, Chloe, for practice? Yeah, yeah, that's it. Tomorrow, of course, is uh, International Women's Day and women in farming. There's far more of them now, like you say. Yeah, definitely, John, and especially in the last couple of years, um, you know, and it's definitely, uh, you know, there's, I've, Myself have seen a big a big increase in women and you know, yeah. especially even driving machinery and helping on farms and yeah. you know, have, getting well getting well recognised now as well. Things have changed from the time that he went out and tilled the field or looked after the animals and she stayed inside and she cut peeled the spuds for the dinner. That that's long gone. <laughs> that's long gone. Yeah. And you welcome that. Is there anything you'd like to see, anything more you'd like to see happening about farming, given that tomorrow is Women's Day? Um, I suppose, I don't know, I, I, I see farming in general, look, it's, it's it's going okay and there's a lot more women getting involved and things are becoming, you know, they're, they're, there's a big encouragement as well now, even from a, a from a, the new cap and things like that, which encouraging women into farming and so I, I think tis, things are things are going okay at the moment for you know for farmers. Great, great. Uh, and you being particularly young at twenty, are there younger than you involved? Um, there definitely would be, definitely. Yeah, uh, I suppose you know, especially with a lot of family farms and stuff like yeah. that too. Um, to be you know encouraged in that way, and you know, be getting involved and helping out at home and things like that. Okay. Well. Chloe, good luck going forward to the All Ireland at the Big Ploughing Championships in September. That's and that's a world event. That is a world event. The Ploughing Championships in September, and Chloe Dennehy would be flying the Cork flag there from the East Cork Ploughing Association. Thank you, Chloe. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Thanks to Mom Maura for helping us with that. Some more stuff on the right. Yeah, we're getting many more. Kevin O'Sullivan says there's Celtic fans screaming out for a flight from Cork to Glasgow. I'm sh- I'm sure there are. And guess what, Kevin? There are one or two Rangers fans in Cork as well. Because I know one. One of my oldest friends is a lifelong Rangers fan. And I ask him, why Rangers? Just to piss off the Celtic fans. But that's Ken for you. That's Ken. He also, Kevin also asks a very interesting question. Could you find out an answer to this for me? On blood donation, can someone who lived in the UK during the time of BSE 
uh, donate blood. That's interesting. Do you remember the BSE scare? Mad cow disease. Uh, bovine spongy form encephalitis. And the only reason I know that is because it's a table quiz question. Mad cow disease, BSE, bovine spongy form encephalitis. It was a terrible thing, a terrible, terrible thing. But And there was a kind of a human form. So people got sick with this. So if you'd been in the UK for a number of years while BSE was a thing over there, you couldn't donate blood. And I'm not too sure Kevin wants to know, is it still the case? It's an important question because for literally decades, people have been banned from giving blood. Certain people have been banned from giving blood. The answers it would appear to be, is if you have had brain or spinal cord surgery in the UK since the 1st of January 1980, you are not eligible to be a blood donor. That's... I tell you, you put the executive research desk of the opinion and across 96FM to work and they will find you stuff you never knew existed. So, if you've had brain surgery or spinal cord surgery in the UK any time... Since January 1st, 1980, you're not eligible to be a blood donor. All the other restrictions that were there have now been lifted. Now, that's not something you expected to be hearing on the radio this morning when you turned on at five past nine. Bovine spongy form encephalitis. Write it down, it's a good one. 0818 96 96 96 on flooding. And this is a good point. A friend of mine lives in an estate on a hill and a neighbour claimed for flooding when the pipes burst in the attic. They claimed for flooding instead of water damage and now no one can get flood insurance in the estate because the insurance company paid out for the flood damage. Yeah, and that is why and we had a small incident at Coogan Towers quite a number of years ago now and it was a small enough incident, did a little bit of damage, not a whole pile, but a little bit. And my great builder friend at the time, the late Aidan Kiley, came up and looked it over for me. And he said to me, get an assessor. Get an assessor, he said, because you need to put it together. And you hire an assessor and you bring them out and they do the job. They tell you what to claim for. They tell you how much to claim. Yes, they'll cost you a couple of quid. I think my guy cost me a grand at the time. They'll cost you money. But if you have a, a claim under your house insurance for anything like flooding or that you can't see or water damage that you can't see, you're better off getting an assessor out there. Don't you, you can do it yourself. And your insurance company will probably encourage you to do it yourself because... Well, you're not going to take as much notice as an assessor or an engineer. 0818 96 96 96. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. Cork's 96 FM. Whatever sport you support, grab that jersey and stick it on for Radiothon. The Cork's 96FM Giving for Living Radiothon returns this May. And Friday 26th is Jersey Day.
You make me feel Get together with family, friends, colleagues or classmates And wear your favourite jersey to raise funds for Cork Cancer Services See 96fm.ie for more 96fm.ie for more The Giving for Living Radiothon Supporting Cork Cancer Services May 25th to 27th You make, you make me feel Only on Cork's 96FM Do you know what's getting a lot of interest this morning is the Cork to Glasgow flight. Maria says, Hi, my daughter's married to a Glaswegian living in Glasgow. I live in West Cork. I fly to Glasgow regularly. And so my daughter and her husband also come home regularly. It's quite a journey to get from Glasgow to West Cork. I'd say people from Kerry and Limerick and surrounding areas would also avail of this service. I'm assuming that if you want to go to Glasgow, you've got to drive from West Cork to Dublin and then take one of the many, 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 many flights a day from Dublin to Glasgow. Thanks for that, Maria. Kathleen, morning. Good morning. Your son and grandson use it. Yeah, they live in Glasgow, obviously, and my husband and myself go to see them, but we're not teenagers and it's a long trek from Edinburgh to Glasgow. So, and then going back again, you have to do the same trip up to Edinburgh and um, you know it would be great if they went out at Cork Airport they did before and it was marvellous but they took them off and then my son when he's coming with the little fellow has all that long journey as well facing so it would be a great idea I think PJ So where do you live where do you live Kathleen? Where do I live? I live in Ballavalan Meadow Park in Ballavalan Only around the corner so you're in Ballavalan so if you want to go to see your son and your grandson in Glasgow, you've got to get from Bellevillean to Dublin Airport and Dublin well, Airport Yeah. Well, Glasgow. I used, I used to do that, PJ, but it meant we'd have to stay overnight in Dublin, which is not cheap. So now we go to Cork Airport and go out in the Edinburgh flight. Go to Edinburgh. And then you've got, how long is it? Is it it's a bus I take oh, it at the other end there. It's a, well, sometimes my son, work, he's a refrigeration engineer and he works around Glasgow, but sure. if he's in Edinburgh, lucky for us, if he was there working yeah. today, he can bring us down. If not, you have to get a train from, or a bus from right. Edinburgh into Glasgow. I see, I see. And, I, and then I, you have I, to get a, a taxi or whatever if, if he isn't around on that day because it might just happen he wouldn't be available on that day. I know, I know. And if you're going to Glasgow, you get a bus into town and whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So you'd like to bring it back. It was there It was there until 2021 and then Stobart went out what? of business and it's never been restored. Yeah. And the, the company that's doing those routes now is called Emerald and they have, haven't said they will and they haven't said they won't. But certainly this morning, since we addressed it first, the, the number of people who say bring it back would be a great idea. And the fact that you can get about six or seven at least flights a day out of Dublin. Yeah, exactly. But like... Going to Dublin is a, is a. My husband refuses to go to Dublin anyway, PJ. He just won't go because. It's a trek and it's a difficult yeah, airport to go through. Exactly. And we're not teenagers, as I said, so, you know, mm-hmm. getting up there. And the last time we did it, we had to stay overnight and it cost a lot of money, so. It is. Yeah. We just. It's a very expensive place to stay, and even up there around the airport, like you've got Premier Inns and you've got Crown Plazas yeah. and you've got loads of other places, but like you said, none of it, none of it is cheap. None of it is no, cheap. No, it isn't. It's not so. All right, Kathleen. And to be marvelous as well for the Celtic fans, I had to get that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Does Does he listen over in Glasgow? 
Um, I don't think so, PJ. I don't think he does. Well, tell, tell, him, tell him to put it on his phone and connect the phone into the van that he drives to the refrigeration company and we'll say hello to him some morning. Kathleen, thank you. And I hope you get there soon. That, that, yeah, it's the random stuff that takes off that will never cease to amaze me. Huge support on all our platforms this morning for people wanting to reinstate the, the Cork Glasgow flight. Are you listening, Emerald? Are you listening, Cork Airport? 0818 96 96 96. Now, talk about things taking off. Last week I got an email in here about a thing I'd never heard of, which was called vestibular migraine. And by goodness me, I mightn't have heard of it. Fergal mightn't have heard of it. But you'd heard of it. And you were on the phone in seconds telling us about your experiences with vestibular migraine. And before we know it, we're talking to Sheila down in East Cork Physio, who's been treating it for the best part of 20 years and was explaining to us what vestibular migraine is. Now, Danina, you don't have vestibular migraine, at least you don't think you have, but you've been suffering from a form of migraine since you were just a little girl and and you're at your wits end and you're you're seeking you're seeking help how long are you suffering delina good morning hi so it started off when i was 12 years old i had a hockey practice and while i was practicing the um the vision of my one eye would like completely go away and then obviously i went home tried to sleep and obviously then the headache a pounding headache actually starts and then the nausea comes um we didn't think really much we just kind of thought okay because my mom gets it a lot um so then obviously we would try to uh, drink a pain um, muscle relaxer or like a painkiller and so to you know to subside it um i can't really remember how it actually got away but i know it, it sometimes it takes a while to actually go away and then it will actually get triggered with other things like um, strong perfume. Really? Um, Go back to the the first time you got it. You said hockey practice. Did you maybe got hit with something during hockey practice? No, not at all. I actually just thought it is hot. Yes, of course. Um, and I just thought, okay, maybe tiring dehydration. So obviously you would kind of want to eat something and drink lots of water, obviously. But like we didn't think much. But then I would kind of feel like, like I'm... I know back in South Africa, the schools, we had a like a sick room. We call it a sick room. So usually we don't. Even, they don't really call the parents if it's not that bad. You just they just say um, you can go lie in the sick room. Yeah. And then I would kind of try to sleep it off, and then I the the memory coming back if I lie in the bed and I'm just trying to you know sleep. But even though it's the headache is actually so bad that you actually can't fall asleep. Sleep your head. Just putting it on a cushion is actually so bad. It's like pounding. Um, and then I could smell the perfume I use. I'm like, oh, I use my mom's perfume. And that, then I would thought, okay, that's one of the triggers, strong perfume. How often did it happen when you were in your teens, Delia? I would say in the beginning a lot, like once a month. Then it would subside with um, every now and then. But like I thought, we were just thinking diet, Um because my, if my mom eats chocolates, she gets the migraines. So then I would obviously just check what I eat. But I just kind of live with it. We didn't really think much of it. Um, when I was obviously older, 
then I would get it a lot. I would go to the doctor and then she would say stress. Um, and then, but then I actually started going to the doctor and then I would just um, get a, a, like a muscle relaxer injection that will actually take it away quicker. Um, so I just kind of live with it. And you've been in Ireland now a couple of years. I've been in Ireland now for four years. So 2019, it hit me very hard. Like it would actually go on for a week. Um, then obviously the, the injection with it, like the muscle relaxer, the injection, I obviously can't get it here. Um, so I would kind of, you know, uh, drink paracetamol. Then I got to the Nurofen, but Nurofen is very harsh on your stomach if you struggle with a few things. So back into 20, I think 2021, then I, I went to the doctor and said, please, I, I just, I can't, I can't take it anymore. So he actually sent me for a, um, a scan, a CT scan. Um, then he phoned me back the next day saying, listen, there's nothing there. So he thinks it's just anxiety and stress. Yeah. So he actually put me on an antidepressant tablet. Um, then I was like, okay, maybe this could actually help. And then the antidepression was obviously it was a strong make and actually made me itch from the inside. It, it felt like I was going with withdrawals. I need drugs, you know, that kind of feeling. I can't concentrate. I can do nothing. So I phoned him back and said, listen, it's, it's not working. So it, it put me on a um, very mild one, but I would still get it back to once a month that I would literally get it. Um, so then with the, 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 the light antidepressant he gave me, I actually picked up um, 22 pounds. Oh, God, yeah. And I would, I would find him to listen, I'm picking up weight. It's like, oh, you just go around the block, you know, walk more. I'm like, okay, I'll do that. But till a point that I'm like, no, I, I can't. So I went um, So I went back to, to South Africa. Obviously, the headache started getting, but it's because the – the climate is obviously different. We went there for a visit now. And the, so I didn't also, like I said, I didn't think much of it. But now if I actually think about it, people will say it's your eating habits, um, maybe stress, yeah. you know. But uh, like I said, I, I cleaned up my eating habits since I got back from South Africa, drink more water. And it's now till a point that I'm just, you know, I just have to live with it. And, and if I might ask a personal question, Delina, d does this yeah. happen around the time of your cycle, your menstrual cycle, maybe? That's what we thought. Yes, that's what I thought. But I went in December, the 1st of December, I actually went for a um, IUD, like a, like a, the birth control. I think it's a loop. I don't know. The really coil, sure they call it. The coil, yes. Obviously, we call it the loop in South Africa. So then I thought, okay, you know, maybe it's hormonal because it, it was maybe because I thought it was hormonal saying it would actually start when it's that time of the month. But then I tried to keep a diary of it and then it actually wasn't. So I just thought it was hormonal, but then it wasn't. Then I went for the coil and then I'm like, okay, you know, this can actually be it because now I can actually, you know, balance my hormones out. So obviously when I came back now from South Africa and then it hit me not two weeks ago, I'm like, okay, definitely not that time of the month. But I did I did go to South Doc also uh, just before I went for the coil and I told him about the whole um, situation. And he actually said they shouldn't have put me on antidepression. They should have put me on a tablet to prevent the, um, the, the, the headaches. Yeah. You, you really are, I think, confused as to why this has gone on so long and you'd love to get to the bottom of it. 
I would love to. Like I said, I I thought it was just, you know, genetic. But listening to um, the conversations now during the week, I I actually f- I felt like, you know, maybe there is uh, a solution to this. Maybe it is, I can maybe be helped. But, you know, because it, it's not nice. It's like, I feel like I have to drink a paracetamol every morning just to, prevent you know but i don't want to drink tablets because i'm tired of drinking tablets i know what you mean i know what you mean and they're no good to you if you're taking that many of them oh you're, no definitely not i think where we started last week with vestibular migraine and as i said i never heard of it there's a lot of it out there as we've since discovered here you're coming to yes. us now suffering 20 years with what you might call conventional migraine and you can't get to the bottom of it you can't find the cause you say that perfume is a problem for you well, at that time, yes. Um, but obviously, I don't really um, wear it now because right. I thought it's one of the triggers. But it would be like strong, very, very strong um, perfume. Right. And are there other triggers? Seeing as you don't wear that perfume anymore now, are there other triggers? I would say um, a packet of sweets like the squeegees. So I stopped that as well. <laughs> um, I don't, I'm not really a chocolate eater, but like I'm a sucker for sweets. Um, I mean, having a little one in the house, it's difficult, but I mean, I, I, I'm kind of, like I said, I mean, not on a clean eating plan. So that kind of, you know, so, so I, I'm not really eating a lot. So yeah, you genuinely don't know. No. I, and you'd love to find out, correct? So you can yes, deal with yes, it. Definitely. And lots of people say um, coffee, but I mean, I went from like eight cups of coffee to like two two cups of coffee a day, and I'm still getting it. So it's it's definitely not that. Um, so yeah, I, I experience was try this, try that, don't yeah. do that, do this. Even even like exercise, I went um, when I wanted to obviously do more exercise last year. I went to a um, a class. It's a jumperoo class. So I went for a, like an exercise class and that. And then, I mean, I was like perfectly fine all day. No, I didn't even feel like any mild headache. And when I stopped that um, that exercise, I went to the car. I'm like, okay, I can't see. So my wind, I just went again. My, sorry, my one eye just went again. And then the migraine just started. So now I'm like, okay, I can't do that because that's probably a trigger. But I mean, it's, it's confusing. Yeah. yeah. I think what you want, for, is there anyone out there listening who's been through what you're going through and has got to the bottom of it got the answer and and made the migraine go away because it sounds to me like once a month you are a sick person for a few days a very sick person yes (laughs) must make it hard to be a mom how how old is your little little one well i've got three so the the two oldest um you know they're kind of teenagers so they they just carry on but um the youngest is um uh, she's six years old so obviously she's she needs a lot of like homework you know like the the, the two senior senior and junior junior and senior infants are a lot of work when with homework and it's obviously important for them but you know, to keep them busy and keep them happy. And like, oh, please, I can't. I just have a headache. But I can't say that because it's it's some some people say oh, you sound like a broken record because every time they do want to do something, I always have a headache. But it's gen- like that. Ge- I don't even say I've got a headache anymore. You genuinely do have a headache, and that's the reason you 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 want to try to find out can can this be gotten rid of? Is there something you can take, something you can do, something you can stop doing to make it go away, <laughs> Delina? We'll see. There are so many people out there who suffer from migraine. Maybe one of them has an answer and they'll come to us. 
yes, I would be, be, be very great if I can actually find a solution to it. I'm up for anything at the moment. <laughs> it's good to talk with you. Have a good day. Thank you very much. Cheers, cheers, Delina. Actually, we, we may even have a theory as I'm speaking to you. So we'll check that out in a minute or two. We may have a theory on what kind of my... It, it, did you know that? There are so many different kinds of migraine. I certainly didn't. 0818 96 96 96. All right. With our friends this week at Carrigaline Furniture and Carpets, we have a voucher for €1,500, Euro, which we should give away on Friday. And with that voucher, you can buy anything you want within their centre. You can have respa mattresses and beds or quality flooring and carpets. Anything that's in the shop is covered by this voucher. We've had some fun with it so far and I get a sense we're going to have a lot more fun with it before the week is out. Who is bouncing on our bed? You can thank the production department and their sewers of mines for the double meanings included here. Who is bouncing on the bed today? Oh my god, it's good to be back. I haven't seen you since... I don't know, it's just, uh, yeah, it's good to be back. It's good to see you guys. Oh, stop. Who is that? Oh my god, it's good to be back. I haven't seen you since... I don't know, it's just, uh, yeah, it's good to be back. It's good to see you guys. <laughs> His name and yours to 083 396 96 96. Right, Connor thinks that this sounds like hemiplegic migraine. Hope I'm spelling it right, he says. Hemiplegic migraine. I'm not too knowledgeable, but it does sound a lot like the symptoms my partner gets. And it's a genetic condition. Well, Delina did say her mom suffered a lot from migraines. That's interesting, Connor. Thank you. Anybody coming to us with any other ideas, more than welcome. Actually, talk about people coming to us. I must tell you, this happened last week. I was here one morning. And as I'm prone to do, I had a little rant. I was giving out because I couldn't get a decent mobile signal. I'm Vodafone, and I couldn't get a decent signal. I was trying to read the paper in my car on Patrick's Hill when I was parking uh, one of the mornings. And do you think I could get a sniff of 5G? No, and 4G was brutal altogether. Came in here. And sure, I might as well have been throwing the phone at the wall and shouting for for the kind of signal I was getting. And I said no more about it. I said, has anybody noticed? Or is it just me that the 5G is rubbish and whatever? Well, do you know what? The engineering department of Cork's 96FM got a call later that day. And I subsequently got a call thinking, oh God, I'm in trouble here now. Forget. Actually, someone realised... Something was amiss. They put an engineer on it, and I just tested my Vodafone speed here in Studio One overlooking the city right now, and I have 480 megs. You won't beat that in a hurry. Oh, it won't. So it pays to give out. So if you want to come to us with anything and give out about it, you'd never know what can happen. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie Cork's 96 FM Trisha was on the phone to say magnesium has really helped my migraines. They're now down to maybe twice a year. That's a response to Delina who's been having 
migraine since she was 12. And she grew up in South Africa. She lives here now the last couple of years. And she still gets them about once a month. They make her quite sick. And she's looking to get to the bottom of it. And what can she do about it? Um, Connor, I just said before the song there, Connor thinks it might be a thing called hemiplegic migraine, which his partner gets. The symptoms sound very much the same as genetic. And Trisha then recommends magnesium. I'm sure if you're going to any health shop, you can get some kind of magnesium extract or magnesium supplement. Try it at least, can't hurt. 0818969696. More stuff coming in about Glasgow and whether or not we would get a chance to renew the flight or restore the flight from Cork to Glasgow. My daughter is married to a Glaswegian. I'm enjoying the show. My daughter is married to a Glaswegian and is living in Glasgow. I live in West Cork. I fly there regularly. My daughter and her husband come home regularly. It's a trek. It's a trek. That's from Maria. 0818 96 96 96. Now, last year, was it last year or the year before? I can't remember when, but certainly we have talked before to Aideen Mullins. Aideen is 16 now. At the time we talked, she was not quite four, not quite 15 yet, I think, and was gearing up to go and box uh, internationally a uh, Muay Thai boxing, uh, Thai boxing, kickboxing, uh, headed for Canada. And there was also an, an event um, locally here last summer that we were happy to promote. Um, Aideen, you went learning this sport purely because your cousin dragged you along to a training session. And now I do believe that last weekend you won an Irish title at welterweight. You're 16 years of age and you beat Gillian Fitzgerald, who's in her 30s. Congratulations, Aideen. Thanks. (laughs) I'm delighted to read this. Um, When we talked before, were you 14 or 15 and you were... Really getting into the sport. And um, went I think I was 15. 15. And yeah. you, you were on the verge of trying to get to Canada. You got there, didn't you? Yeah. Tell we me. did, yeah. We got there in the end. Tell me how that went. Um, I got a bronze in Canada. Yeah. Wow. And then, now last, week, last, last weekend was in Clonmel. Yeah, it was in um, the Talba Hotel in Clonmel. Okay. And how long had um, Gillian been been fighting? Um, I'm not sure, but she was undefeated, so she was um she had a good few fights under her anyway. Yes, yes, and you won. Well done to you. Thanks. Was, was she? <laughs> yeah, a bit, she was thirty-one. Thirty-one. Was she a bit surprised to be beaten by a sixteen-year-old? Uh, um, I'm not really sure. Um, but we um. She was a good bit taller than me as well, so she she had longer reach and stuff. Yes. Um, but see, it was it was kickboxing, so I don't like that was my first kind of kickboxing fight. Because mm. um, I do Thai boxing, and now, they offered us the fight, and yeah. we trained for it, and we won then. Now tell me the difference between kickboxing and Thai boxing, because I might have thought they were the same. Um. So you you can clinch in Thai boxing where you can you can knee all you want. But in kickboxing, you can only knee once and then you have to break. And um, you can't elbow as well. But, but I couldn't elbow anyway because it was amateur. But say if it was professional, you couldn't elbow or you couldn't knee to the heads then. 
Right. And do you use your fists well, at all? No, just feet. No, you do. It's um, it's basically boxing and kicking, and you can need the once. But when you catch a kick in Thai boxing, you can sweep them to the floor, and you can't in kickboxing. I see. Oh, I've seen that. Yeah, that you you can you can yeah. use a person's energy against them. They put all their energy into a big kick, and you can use that to twist them and yeah. and flatten them. Yeah. Yeah. You, you you were you're doing this since you were seven, and is that a true story? You you went along with your cousin, and she didn't stick at it, but you did. Yeah, um, she stuck at it for for a while, and then she she stopped. But um, yeah, that's I went with my cousin yeah. when I first started. Yes. So now that you and by the way, was it intimidating to to stand in a ring against someone who'd been doing this for so many years and was obviously a lot more experienced like Gillian and had an unbeaten record. Was it was it a bit scary when you stepped into the ring first? Um not really because like all my coaches they were all they were all um they were like hyping me up in the changing room and they were um they always supported me and I've trained hard for it so it doesn't really matter how old a person is. It just depends on how good you are going in there. You have great confidence and fairness to you. You have great confidence. <laughs> so so you've got an, an Irish title now at kickboxing level and where do you go from here? Um, well, we're off to Venice in June for um, the European Championships. Right. Um, and then after that, um, we'll see how that goes. And uh, is that kickboxing or Thai boxing? Uh, Thai boxing. Thai boxing. Okay, and and um, so you'll be up against the best in Europe, eh? Yeah. So, is it ongoing training? Four, five, six days a week, yeah? Yeah, uh, five days a week for right. training. Okay. And how do you fit? How do you fit school and all these things into it? Well, I'm in um, I'm in transition here at the moment, so that's I'm handy. Kind of okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like I'll just come home and do my homework straight away and then I'll go training in the evening so it's kind of balances out because I, I usually don't start training till around seven. Okay. So it's kind of I have enough time. So how many hours a week would you do? Um well it's about an hour and a half a session, so and then it's five days a week, so Yeah. I go but anyway. The last time we were talking, uh, Aiden, you were a lot more nervous on the phone and, and yeah. now you seem a lot more confident does that come from experience does that come from the from the sport and being a part of a team a sporting team in preparation does that come does it come from that um, I think it does because even when I was younger I was kind of more quiet and then the more I got into the sport I kind of opened up a small bit and mm. um, it just the sport and kind of helps with it because when you're up against people who you don't know and then you're fighting them and then, I don't know, it's just kind of the discipline and it's kind of, it's good. Yeah, because there's a big mental element too, isn't there? It's not just, it's not just the moves, it's not just the physical side of it. Yeah. There's a mental side to fighting. There is, because a lot of people don't see, like even, even if you have to make weight and, you know, watching what you're eating and stuff and, Mm. um, just like even though some days if you're tired and you still have to go go training, but like 
it's all worth it then. And I guess you go training too on in a fight. So you go training when something hurts. You know, you, you get a kick in training and sparring. It hurts, but you've you got to go out and train again. And that's where the mental side of it comes in too, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Like, if you, if you hurt one leg, you have the other one to fall back on. Good for you. Well, I wouldn't be falling on it. I'd be leaning on it more than falling on it, I think. Yeah. yeah. So where do you go from here? Europeans in, in Venice. I know that there is a professional circuit in, in Thai yeah, and kickboxing, is. isn't there? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I'm hoping now, when I'm 17 and, you know, I think it's 17 is the age you can go up to C-class, so I'm hoping that. Okay. And um, you'd have a preference for the Thai boxing months. in the professional, would you? Oh, definitely, yeah. Yeah, Thai boxing. Like, mm. I, I'm mainly Thai boxing, but I'll fight kickboxing if I have to. But okay. I'm mainly Thai boxing. What, what do you get, other than the, the sport and the enjoyment and the, and the love of it, Aidy, what do you get out of being involved in something like that, that it, it takes so much of your personal time? How much, what do you get out of it? Um, I, I think it's like the atmosphere there. Like everyone's lovely, and like the like they're always looking out for you. And like you could be kicking them one second, and then the next second you could just be chatting away. Like it's, I think it's the atmosphere and the like the enjoyment of the training. Like like if you go in there, say if you're stressed with school or something, and then you come out of it and you're fine. Yeah. Like it's it's just amazing. Okay. Well, we must we must talk again before Venice because I'd I'd like to know more about how that adventure is going to play out. You were asked recently by the Yay Cork team, uh, or sorry, Tripe and Deshine, not Yay. You were asked by Tripe and Deshine by Eddie who your sporting hero is. Tell me more about Ryan Sheen. I've heard this fella's name, and everyone who t- mentions it to me, watch him. He's going to win all round him. Who's Ryan? Oh, Ryan is he's incredible. He's He's been fighting since I'm not sure to be honest, but he was he's young and he's at it ages. Um but he signed for one championship, um, which is this like media if you'd say. Um and like it it's like the the most watched like thing. Like it like NBA is the only thing above it. Like UFC, they're all below it. Like this it's really? huge. Wow. Yeah, um and he's fighting um a tie on St Patrick's Day. But it's over in Thailand. Oh wow! Um, yeah, he's like he's he's I think four world titles, um, and he's a load of he's a WBC world title and an international title from WBC. Nice. And and he trains with you. Yeah. Wow! Do you ever spare him? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Go on. How good is he? He's very good. He's <laughs> like you could think you're thinking, oh, I could throw this, and then he always has another thing to come back with. <laughs> Do you know, and when, and when you're working with someone that good, you can only both learn, which is great. Listen, Aideen, it's lovely yeah. to talk to you. Your your confidence since the last time we talked, it's incredible to see the difference, and I wish you continued success. I would love to talk to you again before Venice. Thank you. All yeah. right, take care. My best to your mum and to all of your relatives and friends who are huge supporters. That's Cork's Aideen Mullins, won her Irish championship last weekend as a kickboxer, but is off to Venice in June for the European Thai Boxing.
Championships. We'll follow her progress because uh, she's she's a special special performer. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. All right, I have to play this again. I can't. You see, it's my it's my mind is a sewer. I can't do this without laughing. Oh my god, it's good to be back. I haven't seen you since. I don't know. It's just uh, yeah, it's good to be back. It's good to see you guys. Georgia, who's bouncing on the bed? Nile Horan. <laughs> <laughs> you see, you can't listen to that noise without laughing. You'd know an Irish person from anywhere. This is true. You this would, is, like. <laughs> this is true. You're in Frankfield, just finished work. Yeah, I'm just back as well after a whole week off. Okay, okay. I'm stiff. <laughs> <laughs> All right, listen, Georgia, you are our qualifier today. Uh, with our friends at Carryland Furniture and Carpet Centre. She's back with you there, lads, because we do have to run. We are busy, busy, busy. Well done, Aideen. Congratulations from Michael and all the Lee family at home and abroad. We're so proud of you for your marvellous achievements. And I know Michael Lee well, and he is very, very proud. That's it. Programme edited by Fergal Barry, produced and researched by Richard Vickery. We'll see you tomorrow, just after nine. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. Cork's 96 FM. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.